Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Thursday, January 11th. We are here live. It is a free-for-all. We've got an hour today, so jump in quickly. It's going to go fast. The phone number today, it's been the same for four days in a row now. That might be a record in 2024. 319-527-6791, or you can press the call now button on your app. That'll get you in. We'll get to those calls here in a little bit, but line them up quick. This hour is going to go fast. After that, Kevin Beckett will be doing rolling toe by himself today. So be thinking of some questions for Kevin. It's much easier if he get calls early, especially when he's by himself. So that's the schedule for today. We're going to get to the calls here in just a little bit. So dial us up 319-527-6791. I've got a couple things. Uh, Tuesday, I was talking about a new company building a a towable, a travel trailer is the term. Uh, travel trailer distinguishes it. It's an RV um, from a fifth wheel. Travel trailer is a bumper pull. Um, that's the low end of the market as far as cost. Travel trailer is the kind of cheapest RV you can buy. The smaller they are, the cheaper they are. This is really a high-end version. Um, the other high-end uh, towable as a travel trailer would be Airstream. Um, Airstream's been around a long time. They've always managed to charge about twice as much uh, for a comparable size to the rest of the RV market. People love them. They last forever. Uh, real high quality. This one comes in at about four times the cost. It's all electric. Uh, so it's got big batteries for storage, and they used every available space on the top or solar panels. I think it generates three kilowatts, if I remember right, quite a bit of solar and big battery storage, um, which would be great for what when you're doing what they call dry camping. You're, you're not in an RV park. You're not hooked up. You just go park wherever you want you would have unlimited power for the most part in that. It wasn't that big of a trailer. I forget the exact size, but it wasn't that big. There was a lot of solar and a lot of storage. It's also a big price tag. This one also, they spent a lot of money making this kind of a collapsible. Uh, instead of slides that go out to create more space, the whole top of the RV slides up. Um, the, the top is almost like the outer shell and slides down when you're towing it. Uh, so it's got a really nice low profile for towing and then it expands up. And when you do that, you lose the ability to have certain kinds of storage up above that, you know, up higher, like cabinets up higher or, or that space is compromised. So they made the entire top half when it's when it's up almost all glass it was a beautiful 360 degree view so pretty high end um i, I don't know that they're going to sell a whole lot of those uh i don't even know if it's worth that whole collapsible bit for the little bit of you are going to save fuel there's no doubt about it and quite a bit when you're towing it but people just don't tow these things that far. 
the the original owner of this thing will probably never make back the cost of uh, what they paid to have that collapsible feature. But it, it's pretty cool. It is efficient. Um, my point on this, though, is that we have already screwed up this whole electric thing. I'm pretty sure people would remember back to 17 or 18 might have been the year we were talking a lot about electric. Um, it was right when um, the Nikola came out and uh, Tesla was announcing their electric truck. And even the Thor announced, I haven't seen anything from Thor. I don't even know if they're around anymore. Um, the CEO of Nikola is going to jail because he was a crook. Uh, and he pulled a scam, basically, with that whole truck. Remember, John Walco and I, in the beginning, called that thing vaporware, and then we came back later, a year or so later, maybe even two later, two years later, we said, yeah, you know, it looks like the industry's getting on board with this thing. U.S. Express was doing a big deal with Nikola, and we said, well, I, I guess we were wrong. Yeah, no, we weren't. We had it right. The guy's going to jail. That's how bad it is. My point is we, we had all that excitement about electricity or, or hate. A lot of people just absolutely hate them. I didn't. I, but here's the difference. Here's how we screwed this up. And I knew we would. I said it back then. I said the government will screw this up. And they did. And they used our money to do it. And they're still doing it. But cars obviously have had been electric longer we really don't have an electric truck on the market yet we've had cars for quite a while tesla tesla actually now one of their models their model three i think just became the best-selling car in the world now that's tesla yes they probably got all kinds of money from the government over the years and they still get government money because there is still a tax credit when you buy electric vehicles. I wish we would have never done any of that. Tesla would have either made it or not. I think they would have made it without the government taxes. They might not be as big as they are now. They wouldn't be, but that would have been better than all of these tax credits because look at what is happening already. Uh, here's the headline. It, we, we just made this big push, really. And here's the headline from Hertz. Hertz to sell 20,000 electric vehicles in shift back to gas-powered cars. Rental company sikes weak demand, higher repair cost. So we're actually talking about cost now, and it turns out it's not lower. Now, I would have predicted, and I would have been wrong, that's why I don't make a lot of predictions. Uh, I would have predicted that these cars would have been cheaper to repair right off the bat. I was optimistic about that. Turns out it doesn't look like that's the case right now. Part of the problem is we just, we just don't see enough numbers on this. But, but here's a case where you have to believe that what Hertz is reporting is true. People didn't want to rent them and they're costing more to repair than their gas cars. They were expensive to buy. Hertz is dumping them and getting out of that market. Now, we should not have pushed this hard, and we should not have given all these tax credits. But we did, and we screwed it up. I, I still believe that electric has a ton of potential in vehicles, and all we have to do is change one thing about our approach. And that I mean from the government. 
Stop making it all or nothing. Stop making everybody feel like it's all or nothing. Like we are going to like states that are banning the production of ICE vehicles, ICE internal combustion engine. California pushing to make make you have to switch. That's what's screwing this up. Why can't we just have electric cars as part of the mix? Why does it have to be forced? Why do we have to meet quotas? Because we can see what's happening with that already. It's a bad idea. I do not believe that the automakers all would have gone out and rolled out multiple versions of EVs before they ever before they ever really perfected one. You know, I I said this before, if I were to buy an electric car, it would absolutely be a Tesla. I don't care who else is making cars electric. Nobody else has as much experience. And that's going to show up soon with all these cars that were rushed into production by companies that have very little experience building electric vehicles. Why couldn't we just allow the market to determine when we're going to move to electric. I, I still love the idea. Now, this trailer with lots of solar capability and lots of electric storage, it's not worth it as an RV. It, it's just not. I'm looking at that price as nice as it is. It's just not worth it as an RV. But there's another advantage to having this. And if this were allowed to just happen naturally, I could even see myself doing this at some point. We could get these built cheaper. There's no doubt. As soon as there's real competition in these markets, the cost of this stuff will come down without tax credits. This makes a beautiful battery system for your home when you're not using it as an RV. You can park it plug it into the grid, plug it into your home, and it makes great battery backup, or you're getting a really nice amount of solar energy when you have this, which means you're now, I'm going to say, producing free electricity. I get it. Nothing's free. You had to spend $250,000 to buy this trailer. I get that. But that becomes a secondary advantage to these kinds of vehicles it, it performs for a, for a reasonable size house. This could power just about everything you would need, except maybe air conditioning in the summer. This is quite a bit of power for this size of trailer. And like I say, you park it, plug it in your house, becomes a beautiful battery backup system. But again, not worth this cost. But we could have gotten there. Uh, I, I look at a trailer like this and I look at our property and we've talked about putting uh, some tiny homes on um, our properties or RV hookups or if these if there were trailers like this that were more reasonably priced if somebody were to build a fifth wheel like this and we got to a reasonable price I get it they're going to be pretty expensive solar and battery technology right now is still expensive but I could see putting these on a property as rentals I mean, that's kind of the market we're in out here. That kind of stuff sells really well out here. And then having them as little power stations as well. But the government is just continuing to double down on 
the uh, stupidity of forcing all of this, making it an all or nothing game when it doesn't need to be. You know, we currently have and we have had for a very, very long time. In fact, almost the entire time we've had vehicles on the road, we've had both gas and diesel. Uh, why can't we have gas, diesel and electric? That, that shouldn't be a, a problem. We've got that. Why can't we just let the market progress like that? Get the government out of it, get our tax money out of it, and let the market figure out where electric makes sense and where it doesn't. I, I can even say for, for our use of a vehicle, Lisa and I, for the most part, we could easily use an electric vehicle and it would be very convenient. In fact, it would be more convenient for gas. I hate going to the gas station. So the little bit of use we use for a vehicle when we're at home, all of our trips are very, very short. Uh, an electric vehicle could make sense for us, a lot of sense. And then have some solar at home, have a plug-in. So the car sits in the garage charging. We're getting some of that electricity free with solar. Now it makes more sense to put in solar. Uh, I could see that making sense for us. We still wouldn't save any money. We wouldn't be doing it to save money. If you drive a lot, the range and the charging may not work for you. If you don't drive a lot, the range and the charging may work fine like it would for me. There's just no savings. We don't drive enough miles to ever make up the cost of that electric vehicle. I would be doing it just on electric and for the convenience. Uh, and I may have done that. I, I remember saying back then, uh, I think I'm going to buy one more ICE vehicle. And next time, I think I'm going to buy an electric car. And it would be a Tesla. I, I've changed my mind. I, I don't want to... I don't want to encourage their game. I think they've screwed this up so bad. Uh, I don't want any part of it. So, all right. I had a couple other things, but the calls are starting to pile up, and we don't have a lot of time, so we're going to get to your calls. Let's go to Pennsylvania. Trevor, welcome. Hey, Kevin. How's it going this morning? Good. What's on your mind? Uh, well, I've been listening to the book, The Beginning, or no, what was it? It was uh, The End is Just the Beginning, and... It's a good book. I'm just having trouble wrapping my head around the, uh, the, the collapse of Chinese manufacturing. And it's probably because I am, I'm young and that's all I've ever known is a world with Chinese manufacturing. Yeah, and it is hard to get your head around this whole idea that this big, giant global supply chain that's been being built my entire life. I mean, you know, I, I grew up in the early 60s, and a lot of things about getting stuff has changed. Back then, a lot more things were made in the United States. China start Japan actually was China when I was a kid. We used to talk about cheap junk coming out of Japan. Cars that first came out of Japan, you go back and look at some of the first Japanese vehicles we had, they were absolute junk. They rusted out horribly. They, they were not good vehicles. They were considered cheap, um, cheap Japanese junk. Now, think about that. How old are you, by the way? I'm 28, so I kind of so, missed that whole Yeah, era. I was going to say, do you, do you have any, any of those thoughts of, like, if it comes from Japan, it's junk? Or do you almost have the opposite approach? 
Most of the stuff that's I, I been... kind of found the opposite. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's more quality. You know, another example of this out of Asia. You may have you you may remember this trend. I don't know. You are pretty young. Uh, do you remember any of the first Korean cars, Kia and uh, uh, what, what's the other no, big I Korean? Uh, oh, I can't think of the other Korean manufacturer. Kia. Uh, Nissan. Had... I think Nissan. Is... No, Nissan's Japanese. And when I was a kid, Nissan was actually called Datsun. They changed their name somewhere. Okay. Uh, Nissan was the parent company, and Datsun was their car. And then they changed and called it a Nissan. Now it's Kia, and I can't believe I can't think of it. It'll come to me, or somebody will text me. Um, they were absolute junk the first couple of years. They were heavy. They were ugly. They were clunky. They were just not good vehicles. And they found a niche. They produce good quality cars at lower prices than almost everybody else. And they were the first ones to start giving things like 100,000 mile warranties. And because of that, they came in and they took a huge chunk of the market, again, away from American manufacturers. The Japanese killed us in car, you know, sales over a couple decades. And then North or uh, South Korea came in and did the same thing. Um, China never really seemed to make that switch to to improving quality year after year after year. Uh, believe it or not, it was actually an American who convinced the Japanese to improve their manufacturing processes. What was the guy's name? Last name was Denning, I think. I can't remember his first name now. He came up with this method of constantly improving um, industrial and manufacturing processes. And he actually took it to American manufacturers first, and they weren't interested and he took it to the Japanese, and it changed everything about their manufacturing. It, they just had this process where it would be constantly improved over and over and over, and we can see what happens. They now have the reputation of building really good quality stuff, almost to the point of like the Germans. But that took a couple decades. Uh, China isn't doing that, but the other thing we know about China, and this happened to Japan too. Japan was a financial powerhouse for a while, and then they went through a long recession. Now, their manufacturing was still good. Quality was there. They, just, their economy was not growing at all. And that is happening to China. We just don't hear a whole lot about it. China has some real struggles right now. Their real estate market is collapsing. If, if you read this book and you see if he is right about this global supply chain collapsing, China is in real trouble. They, they import a lot of stuff in order to be able to manufacture all of these things. And then they export a lot of it to other countries to sell it because their population doesn't have enough money to buy half this stuff. That's a problem for right. them. Their, their economy could entirely collapse over this, and it would be ugly. Yeah, it, yeah that's something that I, I kind of put together myself is, 
once their manufacturing's gone, they're kind of uh, gone. And, and think about the level of poverty that's going to create for a billion people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's one of the consequences, and it's, it's kind of scary. The rest of the world's going to be struggling. Now, if you... We'll be okay. Yeah, and if you look at, again, his predictions, and he makes a lot of good arguments, if that collapse happens and we go back to a lot of what we're now calling nearshoring or bringing manufacturing back without a lot of shipping. Shipping is what's going to stop this big, complicated supply chain. So countries will, their whole supply chain would change. We would start doing the majority of all of our trading with with Canada and Mexico. We have a ton of natural resources in the United States, probably more than any other country in the world. Just we just got lucky. Um, what we don't have, Canada and Mexico tend to have. The the North right. American continent. If you listen to him and and he makes all the arguments and and he shows his data, we would be really really well off. Our three countries together would be able to provide a really good quality of life and and be wealthy. Um, a lot of countries in the world would collapse and China would be right. China would just be a disaster, I think. Now, there's it there, also kind of sounded there, like there's a downside. We to could that. do a little bit of trade with South America, too. Yeah. Yeah, we could. Because, uh, again, if you can get there on a road, not a boat. That, that changes everything. Right. That, that's kind of what they're saying. Now, there's a downside to that. China thinks really, really long term. They have been for decades. And they want to be a global leader. And if they saw this coming, and, and at some point you're going to have to see it coming, um, it could make them very, very aggressive, um, which could be ugly too. Now, the, the problem again, and right. here, here's another reason why we're in good shape here. When you look at the countries around the world that have big militaries that could hurt us here in the U.S., the problem is they can't get to us because of these oceans again. It becomes very, very right. expensive and very difficult logistically to attack another country that's uh, uh, somewhere else in the world and you've got to get everything over there by ships and planes. That becomes outrageously expensive and difficult. You can do it maybe if you're attacking a small country and you're a big country, but anybody else looking to attack the U.S., the biggest military in the world, has to come a half a world away to do it. Right. So yeah, get, it makes it difficult. Really difficult, difficult and expensive. Yeah, and, and it's... it's it, it's not likely to happen. But in, in the, if this, and here's the crazy thing, it's why we're still talking about this book. I talked about the book when I read it a year ago or whenever I read it, because it was just an interesting concept. And he had so many good arguments. But after I talked about it for a little while, I, yeah, okay, well, you know, that, that was interesting. Now the reason we're talking about it is because every day you look at the news and it's happening. Exactly what right. he said was going to happen is happening. Right. That's why I picked up the book. You were talking about it last Friday and you just seeing what was going on in the world and preparing it to the book. Like, I, I got to read this book or listen to it or something because it's, it's happening. Yeah. Or yeah. very and similar to what is going on in the book. So it's like I want to kind of be up on a little bit of the cutting edge in a way. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it's happening right now. Every day. 
exactly what he said would happen to collapse our supply chain. We're seeing the evidence of it happening right in front of us. The U.S. is no longer protecting every ship on the water all around the world and in the Red Sea right now. It it has absolutely disrupted shipping. Right. That's just going to cause all kinds of problems. Yeah. (laughs) But if you look at it, I think if you look at a different, a slightly different way, that could be a lot of opportunities for wealthy individuals to possibly make some extra money if they're willing to invest the capital to protect ships in a way. If they want to build like a small naval force, a private naval force to go out and protect all those cargo ships or cargo ships from, let's say, a company like China. They can make a lot of money from China. Just protecting their ships and that's a possibility. transporting them. Yeah, that's a that's a possibility too. All kinds of crazy things could happen as this starts to unfold. And I I will say one thing: this guy already he got a lot of things right in the book. He really did. He makes good arguments. Now, this is not somebody I would almost ever agree with politically. Not at all. But it's hard to argue against the points he makes in that book. Doesn't mean it's going to happen, but he makes a lot of really good arguments uh, that it could and and now we're starting to see that happen and he he talks about this the the collapse of um the birth rate that we're not first world countries are not producing enough babies to keep this complicated supply chain going and what have i been talking about for a while even with a slowdown, a recession, layoffs everywhere, I still can't get people to work. Right. Yeah, my, my generation kind of threw a monkey wrench in everything, in a way. You so know, that's, there, that's, I, there's actually some good that came out of it. I, I think it's going to swing too far in some ways. Here's what I mean. My generation, let's talk about the boomers. We're at the other extreme. I think that we have taken the whole capitalistic business model too far. All this technology over my entire lifetime, you know what they told us every time new technology came out? Like computers, personal computers. You know the lie they told us? I think you've mentioned it before. It was going to make things easier. We were going to have a lot more time off. Oh, look, this computer now does the work of 10 typists. Well, well, now AI can do the work of 100 really good copywriters, not just not just make you type faster, type for you and do it better than you can. I mean, that's what AI is doing as far as generating digital content. It's faster. It's better. But every time this happens, we don't end up working less. We end up working more. You look at how many hours people work today compared to how many hours they work in the 60s when I was born. We work a lot more now. How come we have all this technology that makes us so much more efficient? We were supposed to have all this free time. and We have almost none. We're all so stressed out because it's all we ever do is work. Right. I think my generation starting to, starting yes. to realize that, too. That, that's what I mean. That's the, I think that's... You know, we, we want to look at yeah. these people and say, oh, my God, they're posting videos crying because they had to work 40 hours and they had a tough shift today. And we're making fun of them. And I get it. I, I do it, too. 
they're kind of pathetic when it comes to work. But I also understand that I'm in agreement with them that with all this technology and how efficient we are now, why don't we have more time off? Why aren't we taking more time to spend with our kids and our family and, and doing more recreational things or, or, you know, doing things we enjoy at home. Why are we all working 60, 70, 80 hours a week and entrepreneurs working 90 and a hundred hours a week? Yeah, it, it, it doesn't really make very much, much sense when you kind of add it all up. Does it? No. And, and so, uh, you know, I do look at these, you know, the younger generation that does not have a strong work ethic at all. And I can agree with them that I think at this point in, in civilization and certainly in the U.S., we should be taking more time off. We should be spending more time with our kids and doing more of those things. And, and we're not. The problem is there. It, it's not their thought process. I disagree with it's their the, the entitlement mentality. So here's the problem with them. They're saying, look, we don't think we should have to work that much. I, I agree with you. You probably shouldn't, but then they say we shouldn't have to work that much to have a big house and two cars and 16 TVs and all of our kids have phones. And we've done that to ourselves. Now, if you decide you don't want right. to work as much, you can't have all that stuff either. That is correct. It's, it's a, we don't want to work, but we want all these consumer items. And right. Right. That doesn't work. But if you have that, I want to work less, a more minimalism kind of mindset, like what I have will work out better. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So it, it is, uh, it's a very interesting time and it's just crazy that, um, it, it, the, the stuff that is starting to happen that's in that book is, seems like it's got to be way more than just coincidental that he might really be onto right. something with as crazy as the whole idea sounds. He may be onto something. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a, uh, it's probably going to be something that's going to be left in my generation's lap to kind of fix and solve the problems. Yeah. To it. Cause we're, we're yeah. at that age where it's, you have to deal with it. Responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Taking responsibility. Uh, so. I, I'm at a point in life where if the economy really changes in a way that I don't like, I can just retire now. I don't want to retire. Right. I don't plan on retiring. I, I plan on being a part of the economy for a long, long time, um, as long as it's working the way I wanted to. I mean, if this turns into look, this whole idea of this push towards getting rid of independent contractors makes me crazy. If there's ever been a, a, a regulation or a rule that I would be willing to put a lot of my time into to fight, it's this one. I think this is completely wrong. I think we should build an economy where more people can work as independent contractors if they choose to. Right. I, I kind of go to that old school philosophy of just let, if people want to start a business, just let them start a business. Yeah. Why do we need all this extra paperwork and bureaucracy to go do it? Yeah. Especially in trucking. I agree with that. There's a lot of bureaucracy that you have to go through to we, be your own. Yeah. I, I've, I've talked about the Motor Carrier Act of 1980. We refer to it as deregulation in the trucking industry. Very few people understand what really happened. They have really strong opinions about it, and they don't even understand what really happened. And I'm talking about my generation of truck drivers now, not yours. I, I wouldn't be shocked right. 
by your generation thinking this way, but I'm very shocked by my generation of truck drivers wanting to give the government more control over us. And when you try to explain that to them, they just shout back at you, no, I'm not, no, I'm not, no, I'm <laughs> Yes, you are. You don't understand. They think the Motor Carrier Act of 1980 was a really bad thing, and they actually want it overturned. Well, the, the, forget all the little stuff. The big thing is, prior to that, the government controlled rates in trucking. I can't believe anybody right. would want that back. No, because they can set whatever price they want. Well, here's the th- here's the thing. Price because, they set well, for let, anyone, the way I say it is correct, but it can lead to some confusion. So I just referred right. to it because it's simple. The government controlled the rates in trucking. Technically, that's not true. The government never set a rate. What they did, which also proves to this same group that rates are set by supply and demand. They don't believe that. They believe that somehow there's collusion going on. The big carriers, the brokers control rates and they do it to try to drive small carriers out. Totally ignorant thought process has no truth to it whatsoever, but they believe that. What the, here's what happened. The government controlled the rates by controlling the supply. They didn't set the rate. What they did was say, We're, we will not issue any new authority to any trucking companies. We think we have enough trucks in the country right now. We're not going to issue any new authority, and they wouldn't. If you wanted to start a trucking company during that time, you might have to go spend a couple million dollars to buy somebody else's authority because you couldn't get right. it. And that's how the government controlled the rate. They didn't set the rate. They just determined how much supply there was of trucks. And that's exactly how you control a rate, which also proves that supply and demand is really what determines rates. Right. And there's, from what I noticed, is supply and demand, for a lot of people, they find it confusing. Even when they they teach it. I was taught supply and demand in high school. The teacher, even the teacher even said that most people won't understand that. And to me, it's a a pretty simple concept. It is a pretty simple concept. But but I guess for most people, it goes right over their head. They don't understand it. Now, well, let's think about that. In my opinion, those kinds of people really don't need to be in business because if they can't understand, probably the most simple thing about business. (laughs) Bingo, that's right. Now, you you shouldn't be in business. Now, I don't want to stop them from going into business. Let them give it a shot. Right. With that mindset, you are correct. They're probably going to fail or at the very least, they're going to really struggle, which is what we see a lot happen. Now, think about this. We have somebody trying to teach supply and demand to just the general population about business in general. It's a pretty simple concept. Most people, he says, they just don't get it. I, I have said this. Supply and demand becomes significantly more complicated in trucking than almost any other industry. And here's why. Our supply is constantly moving. That's not the case in most other businesses. You know exactly what the supply is and where it is. If you need more carpet cleaners in Portland, Oregon, then more carpet cleaners will go into business because there's work available. But it doesn't change much 
trucking changes every minute of every day because the supply is constantly on the move. That's what complicates it in trucking. I get why people struggle understanding it, but it, you still have to understand it if you're going to be successful. Right. Yeah, because one state could just one day come up with a law that changes everything. If, you, well, if you're used to running it, in and out of that state, wait a minute. that it, could change that, that would rates even, and everything. Yeah, but that would even be a slow, permanent change. I, I'm not even talking about that. Right. I'm talking about the fact that seasonally, Southern California needs a whole lot more trucks during some parts of the year than other parts. And that has a huge impact. When, when fracking hits hard, a bunch of supply capacity gets sucked out of the market into the oil fields because it pays so well. But just every day, we just get imbalances. Too many trucks going into Florida every day and not enough freight coming out. Right. Okay. That's a daily thing. It can change by the hour. You could have a city where in the morning there was way too much freight, and by the afternoon it's all been taken, and now there's not enough trucks. That can change in an afternoon sometimes. Holidays. We talk about how much holidays mess with our our rates in trucking because we take capacity off the market all over the country. Yeah, that. That makes a lot of sense. Usually, I'm busy, really busy around the holidays because I haul a lot of food for grocery stores. Exactly. So it it makes a lot of sense to me. One, food side. One of the best rounds uh, of I, I had some dedicated freight for a while. Uh, this was back in the '90s, and I've talked about this. I put together. I, I, I still talk about it because it was such a, a great setup that I had. And it only ran during the holidays. And the reason was I was pulling sugar out of a warehouse in Cleveland over to grocery warehouses, the same grocery warehouse on Long Island. They ran a lot of sugar because of the holidays. Now I got really lucky and I found about eight miles away, I found a company on Long Island that made plastic extrusion pellets. Those, those big box pallets full of those little plastic pellets. They put them in the machines, the machine melts them, and they make something plastic out of it. Well, back home in Ohio, where I was getting the sugar to go to Long Island, is a company called Little Tykes, and they make plastic toys for kids. Little Tykes, and then the owner yep. left, sold Little Tykes and started a company called Step 2, making plastic toys for slightly older kids than Little Tykes did. Both of those companies use an incredible amount of plastic pellets. I got that load coming right back. Throughout the whole holidays, all I did was back and forth with those two loads, and I made a fortune. I bet you did. (laughs) Almost zero deadhead miles. Schedules worked out great. Both of them paid good because there was a lot of demand during that time. That was just an awesome setup. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. All right, so, so I got... That's uh, all I have for you today. Yeah, I got two answers to things I couldn't remember when I was talking to you. Um, Matt gave me both, and a couple other people sent me the other one. Hyundai is the other Korean car manufacturer. Okay. Kia and Hyundai, and think 10 or 15... When you were born, Kia and Hyundai were hardly a thing, and a lot of their cars were kind of junk back then. Um, 
Totally right. opposite now. I might say that the Korean cars are probably one of the best values on the market. For the amount of money you pay for their cars and what you get back in quality, warranty, all kinds of other things, I would say they may be one of the best values in the car market today. And then the other guy, okay. the guy that created that manufacturing process and took it to Japan was Edwards Deming. That's his name. Okay. The name does kind of sound a little familiar. I think I remember seeing something about a guy who, who, who did exactly what you said he did. He, he went to the American manufacturers. The American manufacturers didn't want it. He went to Japan and sold it to Japan, and the Japanese loved it. There's at least one book about Love it. There guy. may be more. Yeah. All right. Okay. Good stuff. We uh, we are going to move along. Oh, I have an update. Uh, Kevin Beckett is not able to do the show today, so we are not limited to an hour. I will just stay as long as we've got calls and questions, so it's up to you. Let's go to Montana. Justin, welcome. Hey, how you doing this morning? Good. What's on your mind today? Uh, so I don't know how familiar you are with uh, Gary Brecka, that uh, ex-life insurance guy that calculated, you know, people's mortality, uh, you know, for the insurance companies. I recently stumbled upon him or whatever, and he was talking about uh, doing like uh, gene being, or gene testing to see what genes you're like deficient in or yeah. whatever. And there was a certain uh, like methylation right. body to process different uh, uh, like proteins and right. whatever. Right. Uh, are you familiar with any of that kind of testing? Very familiar. And it's interesting that you brought it up because I haven't thought about this in a long time. If I go back to when I went through my nutritional therapy training, 15, six, you know, maybe it was earlier than that, right, right around there, 14, 15, somewhere in that time, I can't remember anymore. Uh, and then came out and started practicing and started, started talking about it on the radio. And I was going to a lot of conferences to, to continue learning. And this issue was huge. Everybody talked about this. Everybody argued about it. Everybody had a different understanding of what was going on. Without getting too deep into the weeds on this, it, 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 you kind of said it. it. It has to do with how the body processes certain nutrients and that it looked like some people couldn't process these nutrients properly, and that was going to cause all kinds of problems, and there were ways to make it better, and we argued back and forth, and, and now I just realized that you brought it up. I'm still just as involved with all of those groups. I still read a ton of books. I still go to health conferences. I have not heard anybody talk about methylation in years. I don't even know what well, happened he, he to that issue. Also talking about like uh, how stuff was like uh, like enriched with folate or whatever, but it, it does like forty or sixty percent of the population absolutely no good because their body can't convert Here, that into methylfolate. Here's what I think, and I don't know that we're there yet, but I think we're getting closer. We do not completely understand nutrition in the human body at all yet. We're, we're not there. This is one of those issues, oh, no, like yeah, I said. This dude for, talk about it. It's like you know. To me, it just, it, 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 I don't know, it's just mind-blowing. That I mean, it really seems so simple when you hear him talk about it. I know. And it's like the medical it, community just overcomplicates every damn thing. You well, know what I mean? We, it, we, it's stupid. I agree with you. I'm almost thinking on this methylation issue, 
the holistic and functional health world has done the same thing. I think we overcomplicated it. I think we were talking about it all the time. Here's where I think this may start to settle itself. When we look at the difference between plants and animals as far as food, we always talk about the plant produce does not produce the nutrient that the human body really needs. A, a simple mm-hmm. example is vitamin A. Plants do not right. produce vitamin A. They produce beta carotene. The human body has the ability to convert beta carotene into vitamin A, but the process is not all that efficient. We're far better off if we can consume vitamin A rather than trying to consume beta carotene and converting it. That's a simple example. Those examples are all over the difference between animal nutrition and plant nutrition. Almost everything that comes out of a plant as far as nutrition is not optimal for human beings. We don't absorb those nutrients very well. We absorb the, nu- the different form of that same nutrient that comes from an animal. We absorb those really well. Well, we keep focusing on how important fruits and vegetables are to our, to our diet, don't we? Isn't, hasn't that always been a yeah. big push? Yeah, that, you know, eat your 11 uh, servings of uh, bread and pasta a day, you know. (laughs) Well, that's even worse. That's not even a vegetable. Uh, I know, I know. But we talk about fruits and vegetables like they're they're the... They're the perfect food. They have all this nutrition. They're, they're low fat. They're, uh, but it turns out that's all wrong. I mean, even think about this. Bruce, Bruce has been around me for years since I've been doing this. Did you hear Bruce the other day when he heard I might not be eating vegetables? He's like, what? What? You don't yeah. eat green beans? <laughs> <laughs> no, Bruce, I'm not eating much of that anymore. It, it, it's, it's, and I'm not telling people don't eat vegetables. But be careful about them. They're not the superfoods we thought they were. All of those nutrients that, they, that we can measure in them, we don't seem to absorb that stuff very well. And, and I think we ran across well, that, a that lot of these guy was issues. Saying that a lot of that stuff where they, they talk about, like, you know, you look on the back of a thing and it's like, well, this has this amount of grant or, you know, milligrams of this or it's 5% of that. He was saying that a lot of that data was like from the back in the 30s and 40s. You know what I mean? They're, so, like, they're, potentially today, you know, a lot of those uh, statistics could be like way off. And you might he, not even be getting any of that. Here's another know? reason. You're right. That. The nutrition might not even be in the plant that they're telling us because of the way it was grown. Um, oh, I just had another thought and I totally lost it. Uh, it was about the nutrition in the plant itself, whether it was really there or not. Oh, here's the other thing. All of the studies that set the USDA amount of, you know, we need X milligrams of this nutrient. We need this much of vitamin D and we... All of those studies, all of them, have been done on people eating a grain-heavy diet, the standard American diet. Uh Grains have anti-nutrients. Anti-nutrients bind to vitamins and minerals and carry them out of our body before we can absorb them. So all those studies were done on a diet where there's a lot of food in the diet that takes nutrients away. That would mean you'd have to consume more of that nutrient. So maybe we don't need to do that. Maybe that's the point. Maybe eating just pure animal foods like we're now talking about, maybe that really is 
the way the human body is healthiest, that all these nutrients in the plants are just not that good for us. Yeah. And then maybe that's why we created one of those tests. I'm really torn on the the DNA test. I've done 23andMe because I was interested, and I did want to know well, all not, these it's things. It's not a DNA test. Well, is a gene test and a DNA test the same thing? Yes. Okay. Yes, I, that's I how we determine that, wrong, I know them. that we, we have to do a full DNA profile to find out which genes you have that might be an issue. But here's okay. what we're finding. I didn't measure any of that. Yeah, here's what we're finding. Many of those genes or markers aren't, they're really not telling us anything all that important. And some of them we've interpreted incorrectly, and some of them aren't as accurate as we thought they were. I, I have a couple in mind that are absolutely wrong. Mine actually says that I would not do well. My gene profile says I would not do well on a high fat diet. Okay. I absolutely thrive on a high-fat diet. I have all the proof. I've been doing it for a decade. I've gone back and forth, high-fat, low-fat, everything, every single marker and every symptom improves the more fat I eat. Yet their gene knowledge says, no, based on your genes, you would not do well on a high-fat diet. Well, they have it completely wrong. And are we shocked at how many things they've gotten wrong? Why, why would we think they're going to get any better at this? No, I just assume they're, fuck, they're wrong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, so it's interesting. Would you, would you just like uh, incorporate some kind of like methylated multivitamin and stuff like that? No, try eating pure carnivore and see what happens. Well, first off. If you're concerned about this, do you have some sort of symptom that would indicate that this is a problem for you? Uh, well, not really. I mean, uh, I mean, I, I, as I get older, I feel like more aches and more pains, and you know. Tell me about like your that, diet. You know, and huh? Tell me about your diet. Uh, well, I'm just now getting back to where I'm like eating, you know, mainly meat. You know, a little bit of like, you know, vegetables or, you know, spices and stuff when, so, I, when I cook. And I try to bring my so rather, food with me to last me all week on the road. Rather than worry about the methylation issue and go do a bunch of testing and put all this time and effort into it, I can tell you it's probably not worth it. Focus on eating more carnivore and watch all those aches and pains go away. Mine always do. Okay. Uh, and what about hydrogen water? What, what, what's your thoughts on, on that? Scam. Scam. Total like scam. Even the little things that do the hydrogen generation stuff or whatever. Uh, where Where is the – hold on. Well, here's my take on almost everything health-wise these days. I, I'm not saying that we might not come up with some new things that could make us healthier. Maybe we could. We've been wrong so many times that I am I am almost exclusively going back to – did our hunter-gatherer ancestors do this? And if they did, then maybe we should look at it. If they didn't, we should look at it twice as hard. Do we really think we're smarter than nature, or should we just focus on trying to get back to that kind of life as, as much as we can in today's modern world? 
I, I, I doubt okay. that we're going to develop a lot of new technologies that make us healthier. We don't understand the human body anywhere near as, as much as we think we understand it. And everything we, we end up learning always goes back to, oh, well, that's what hunter-gatherers did. And look, look, it works. It actually makes us feel better. Things like lots and lots of sun exposure. Because hunter-gatherers were in the sun all the time. It's really good for us. Is it any wonder we're finding out how important hormone D is now? Or vitamin D, as everybody else refers to it? Grounding. Right. We were grounded 100% of the time as hunter-gatherers. Some people are grounded 0% of the time in today's world. We know there are benefits right. to grounding. I, I don't think we need to go look at a bunch of crazy new technology that we're hoping might make us healthier. I think we should focus much more on getting back to no technology around health. Right. Uh, that makes more sense when you said, when, like, I don't know, I kind of, like, so, as soon as you said that, uh, you know, did our ancestors do it? Like, I was like, you know, yeah, I'm sure they didn't have hydrogen-generating <laughs> machines or, you know, water and shit, you know? That just, right. Yeah, that sounds kind of ridiculous when you think about it. Right. <laughs> Considering they're like, you know, for a small one's like two, three hundred bucks, you know what I mean? It, exactly. Right. And there's there's all kinds of scams around water. There's a, you can go find a ton of information on pH water. Right, right, right. Same you know, thing. Was like saying seven was like the it, magic deal right, and right. alkaline is, water and all this. Garbage. Seven is neutral. Anything above seven is more alkaline. And there's evidence that says when your body is less acidic and more alkaline, you're healthier. I, that's true. There's truth to that. The, the scam is that drinking alkaline water does not make your body more alkaline. It just doesn't. We've tested it over and over. In fact, it's kind of opposite when you eat really acidic foods like lemons and apple cider vinegar. For some reason, your body becomes more alkaline then. Huh. But the idea of trying to manage the pH in your body is just a scam overall anyway. And we'll go back to hunter-gatherers. They weren't doing anything to manage the pH in their body. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Running around with a pH strip. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah, that didn't happen. And, it, it, and if it didn't happen, you're going to have a very hard time convincing me that we should do it. You know, there, that, that one conference I went to in, in Vegas with Dr. Wolfson, the whole point of that conference was actually extending lifespan, making people live longer. Uh, that was the whole point of the conference. Well, I didn't want to go. I wasn't going to go. I have no interest in that whatsoever. I think that entire concept is a scam. And it, it, yeah. a lot of people are either going to make a lot of money, lose a lot of money, or they'll, they'll start to do stuff that is actually detrimental to our health. They already are. They're loading. You, you know, one of the recommendations to extend your lifespan that's coming out of these groups? No. Take metformin. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually one of the recommendations because <laughs> there is some research. There, there is some research there that for some reason looks like metformin might actually do it. 
So I'm not saying there isn't some evidence. I mean, how I, much are we talking about? I, like, how much are we talking about extending your life? Here's like, here's you like a fat and drug like where it's like yeah, one week or a day you, or something. You just hit the nail right on the head. I don't care how good you are at this. You are not going to be able to prove this to me. You can't. How do we test this? We have to wait. If you're going to test it on me, I was hoping to live to at least 90 anyway. You're going to have to wait 30 years. And then, so maybe I make it to 92. How do you know the metformin had anything to do with that at all? You don't. You can't. You don't. Right. That's why I think this whole area of study, and there's, there's a billionaire out there that's pushing this. Peter... Peter Di- Diamandis, something like that. I follow him, and, and I met him at that conference, actually. He's got a boatloads of money, and his whole goal now is to extend human life. With metformin. Or whatever. <laughs> I mean, that was one of the things that, that came out of all this research that, that caught my attention because they're actually recommending toxic pharmaceutical drugs. Now I'm totally out of this. There's just, there's just no way I'm going right. down that road. Uh, but I don't even like the no, whole idea. No. Uh, why are we talking about that? Why don't we just start making the people who are still alive healthier instead? Yeah, that that makes the most sense. Yeah. And, and if you live in a way that makes you feel this much better, like we always talk about here, gets rid of all your symptoms, you don't need those prescription drugs anymore, doesn't it seem like if anything would extend our life, that would probably be it? That would, it seems to me that that would be the number one area yeah, that you exactly. want to focus most of your concern on. Yes, right. <clears throat> so you you probably didn't expect all this when you were asking about methylation, did you? No, no, I didn't. <laughs> and uh, you know, I mean, it's just you know, I I don't know. I find all this health stuff. You know, the more I do my own, you know, diving into it. I find it more interesting than, like, what you learn in school because it's so just elementary. And, hell, half of it's not even right. Exactly. Right. No, I I love talking about this stuff. It's it's, it's much funner, you know, like, doing the research on your own, you know, I think. Well, here, here, I'll tell you why we like this. Or I'll tell you why I like it, and I think it's probably why everybody likes it. If we just believe them then our future is pretty grim, isn't it? I mean, if we believe the medical community and you're a 20-year-old right now and they're already putting you on high blood pressure medication and they're already, you might already be diabetic in your 20s. How you might be diabetic when you're seven or eight in our country now? And they tell you, you're going to have heart disease. Here, we'll try to manage it. You probably will end up with kidney disease. You're going to, to, to suffer muscle wasting. You're going to get weaker and fatter and dumber as you get older. Wait a minute. I, I want to get smarter and stronger and healthier as I get older. Why can't I do that instead? Right. Well, I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, I'm sure everybody listening, you know, it's like how many people in your family, you know, especially like that are like, you know, especially in their 40s and older, like seems like very, very few of them are in good enough health where they're not on medication. You're right. They're not. I know people that are on several medications. None of them fucking feel good. Half of them are about to die. You know, I mean, it's like, you know. And what do they spend all their time? And they go to the doctor regularly. What do they spend all their time thinking about, talking about, and doing? Going to doctors, picking up prescriptions, going to get another test, another procedure, talking about all this stuff all the time because it's what they do all the time. No thanks. Right. 
Or like, you know, this health care plan sucks. Right. Blah, blah, blah. I'd rather right. not even use the damn thing. Exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah, let, just, let's just skip all that. I just want to go back to living my life. I don't want to be a part of this right. whole giant medical experiment. Right. It was like, uh, I think uh, when you did Destination Health earlier this week, uh, you know, a woman called in. She was talking about like her doctor's like, well, we don't ever see you. And it's like, well, if you're healthy, you have no reason for them to see you. You know, it's I, like I said, I don't have uh, a doctor. I don't even understand that concept. <laughs> what, why do I need a doctor? Right. I don't have a plumber. I don't right. have an electrician. <laughs> When I need one, I call one. Same with a doctor. Why right. would I have a doctor? I don't need a doctor. Right. Or do you just, you know, just go in there to see him from time to time so that they can, well, you know, bullshit you. It, right. You have oh, hell no. Take that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, Justin, I just looked at my phone board. I have got to move along. Man, I am slammed with calls. Let's, uh, let's go to Texas. Mark, welcome. Hey, how you doing? Good. What's on your mind today? Uh, a couple things. First thing is uh, electric vehicles. Uh, well, and you nailed it on the, uh, well, it was Hyundai was one you were coming, you were trying to think about. Yeah. And, uh, that uh, they offer the 100,000 mile warranty. And they also, one of their brands is Kia, which I'm hauling right now. Wait, hey, wait a minute. Uh, they, they're wait. also. Wait. Kia is owned by Hyundai? Or you just mean Korea? Yeah. Oh, no. Hyundai really owns Kia? I didn't know that. Hyundai Corporation. Their brands are Hyundai, Genesis, and Kia. I did not know that. I thought those were two separate companies. I didn't really either. I I checked checked that out like a couple months ago. Huh. I I was curious, and so I looked at it, and it's like... Yeah, you know, it's got a, like the on the tree. It's yeah. got like Hyundai Corporation. And yeah. It's got Kia, Hyundai, and okay. Genesis. And then Genesis, Genesis is like their Lexus or their Acura. It's right, their, right. It's their quote unquote luxury division. Yeah. Well, they're 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 building a they're build, building an electric car plant, battery plant, car plant over in Georgia right now. Supposed to come online in a, I don't know, next year, I believe. I'm not sure. Somebody told me about that, and I looked it up. But they're building a plant to, uh, specifically for electric cars. Now Toyota is still focused on the on hybrid. Hi, uh, they they haven't gone they haven't they haven't gone in on electric cars yet because I understand they're they're trying to figure out this battery technology, which is the problem that everybody has right now. Well, and, we and still have it with our cell phones. Toyota puts a, a a ton of money into hydrogen research as well, like a true hydrogen yeah. vehicle with a hydrogen engine, not a hydrogen electric. They Toyota, both Toyota and Honda probably do more research on this area than almost anybody else. Actually, running a vehicle with an engine that runs on hydrogen, and the only waste product is water. Yeah. Well, we. Uh, you, and you were like, I was like trying to tell you this, what you were talking about. It was like, Deming's, the, he, he's the one that created the quality process that nobody over here, oh, we don't need that. We don't need the quality <laughs> process. Meanwhile, the, the American manufacturers are making all this crap. So he goes over there and he teaches them the quality process. And when I was a kid, my dad came home with these two, what we called in Louisiana, we called them Datsun. You know, Datsun, Datsun. No, that was, that was the little, brand. Little, little, pick, little pickup truck and a station wagon, and they, it, they, lasted, they lasted 10 years, both of them, 100,000 miles. Then they, then they fell apart. But, yeah, uh, the original 
Japanese cars, the Hondas when they came over, the Toyotas, the, the Datsun, which was really Nissan. Nothing changed. They just changed their name. But it was called yeah, Datsun it, yeah, all over the, the country. It said Nissan on there. You looked in there, yeah. and it said Nissan on there, but the, the brand is a Datsun. But um, anyway, uh, so uh, I, I don't know where the electric – I mean, it's that's constantly evolving, and you're right that really the only one that's – been out there long enough to have anything of quality at this point. Everything else is kind of beta testing is uh, Tesla. Well, and, uh, and look at the pullback on this already. The dealers are, I, I, yeah, I follow a bunch of car dealer guys on, on Twitter that report on that whole industry. The dealers are furious over the way they've been forced into inventorying these electric vehicles. Well, they just send them to them. I mean, right. I delivered them. It's like, I, you know, if you want a if you want a, a good electric car, there's a dealer in Lafayette that's full of them. Yeah. And Louisiana, <laughs> and nobody and like, wants them. Yeah, you know, nobody and wants send them. them to and anyone. I mean, it, I was looking at a Maroney sticker on and then at, at the rail yard a while back, and they were sending them to the border to far Texas. It's like, well, the the fact know, so they'll they'll send them anywhere. The fact that Hertz is already rolling over 20,000 of these because they have no demand for them and they're costing them a lot more in repairs. That's a problem. Yeah. Well, so my, my second comment and question, I got a comment then a, then a question. Uh, so when California AB5 came into effect, what was it, a year and a half ago or whatever, and they said, okay, you got to do this or whatever, my, the lady that does my insurance in Georgia was handed a lot of business out there because – there were some car hauling companies, two in particular, that told their, their you know, owner operators, "Hey, you got to get your own authority and your own insurance and all that." Right. So she just had this massive caseload of these people that had never thought about having their own authority, and so she she got them set up and sold them the insurance and you know collected the down payments. And about half of them, I believe it was about half of them, a high percentage of them failed in, in that first year. They couldn't handle it. Yeah. They couldn't handle no, it, the, the, the fact that they – and she had to pay back a whole lot of commissions because these people just they, – they failed at, at everything you talk about that, because they weren't prepared to be thrown into the fire, so to speak, for having to you know, do the regulatory, the insurance, and everything that comes with – you know, running a complete trucking company. We are and we are getting close, closer every day uh, to making a pretty big announcement, or not. But I, I'm pretty sure so, we're we're going to end up making it. So you retweeted you retweeted somebody the other day, and I read that. And I, I copied that tweet and I sent it to somebody. And you retweeted somebody, and they're like, you know, the Biden administration. What do they call it? The contract. Oh, the independent contractors rule with the Biden administration. It's their version of trying to just regulate everybody into the right. a national AB5. I believe that's the way I understand it. It is. That, so, there, there's a bill. It, I, the PRO Act, I think, is, is the, the bill. Yeah. One of them, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're, they're bound and determined to get it. So, they're, they're, you know, when they do something, when they get their mindset on something, whether it's good or not, you know, there's a lot of unintended consequences that come with anything in regulation and government. So my question is, so I sent this, I sent this to somebody I know that's, he's an owner-operator, leased onto a company. I said, you and your guys probably better take a look at this. I said, because there's a good chance it's coming. He came to California, you know, and he hauls cars. And I said, you know, 
And then, then they, he showed it to everybody. Oh well, we'll, we'll just get. They'll just uh, probably give us a paycheck and uh, you know then pay us the rest. I said, well, you can't be a complete. Com- uh, and here's another question I have. You can, I don't think you can be a complete. You can't work for a company and be an independent contractor at the same time. So they're going to issue a 1099. Aren't they trying to get rid of 1099s? I mean, isn't that well, what the governments want to do, like in California? Uh, yeah, but there, there's there's a real problem here. And here's the problem. Uh, What truly makes me either an independent contractor or just an independent business? I I don't understand the distinction there. If I decide to go buy some equipment and then I go into business and I offer my business to, to, let's say I'm a business-to-business provider, which is what an owner-operator is. We don't sell our services to the public. We sell our services to other companies, corporations. What makes me an independent contractor in this situation? Why am I not just a business? I I don't even understand that. Well, I mean, it's... And then then it's like... So I listened to this lady talking about the news. Well, let me talk, let me take a step video, back. Let, 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 me, let me let me take a step back. Mark, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, take a break. All right, go ahead. Um, when we say and 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 it looks like it's going to work. When we say, well, this industry has an easy out. If you eliminate independent contractors, we'll just go get our own authority. Well, well what changed? Did just that one thing now makes us a business? I was a business before. This is what I don't understand. Why just Correct. because yeah. I went and... Same and, as Uber drivers. It, right. Why, the minute I say I don't want to be employed by somebody, I'm going to offer my services as a business to other people or other companies. The minute I say that, why am I not just a business? Where does this whole independent contractor thing even come from? Lawyers? Yeah, and regulations. Let's just get rid of them. If I'm a business, I'm a business and I'm taking a risk. I'm not getting hired by somebody and knowing I'm getting a check every week. I'm saying I I want to go offer my services as a business. Why am I not allowed to just choose that? So let me ask you a complicated question and I'm going to try to wrap it all into one question. So say that hypothetically say this, they get what they want. So, if a company goes in and says, okay, we're going to pay you $1,000 a week, but then we'll give you that because we will technically make you employee, don't, doesn't that company come, come get on the hook then for having to provide benefits because they said if you become employee, now you're liable to have to do the oh, way no. I understood it? You absolutely do. supply benefits to you, these people? If you... So, if you use the two check model, which is another solution to this, which I hate, by the way, That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I hate the yeah, two check I, system I, because I did not take all this risk and get into business to then become an employee again. And now I have to run a business and be an employee. How stupid is this? I hate this system. And how would that? How would the? How but, would the, go, the government wouldn't really take a nice view to that, would they? Well, it's the been IRS going on forever. Especially. No, it's been going on forever. The IRS has allowed this. And based, oh, okay. based on the, today's rules, they have to. There, there's nothing illegal about ah. this. Uh, I just don't like it. I think it's complicated. I don't want to be somebody's employee. But you are correct. If that business, because of their size, is required to provide certain benefits, like if you have more than 50 employees, you have to provide health insurance today. 
So if that's the case, then yes, you you make them employees. You have to provide them with health insurance. If you offer all of your other employees a 401k, you have to offer it to these as well. Same rules. You can't distinguish. They become an employee and you have to provide everything to them you provide to any other employee. And, and haven't they used this 1099 system like that to, like, say, independent con- certain companies? I'm not saying they all, they all do, but to avoid paying, having to pay benefits and whatnot to employees, I mean, I, to co- contractors or people it, that work in the, in the you system, know when, isn't that? When we say they use it to avoid that, to me, that's the wrong mentality. That means the only reason we're doing it is to try to get around some government regulation. But that's not true. That's part of it. I'm not going to say it's not a part of it, but it's not the reason. The reason is that that this is a trend in business and it makes sense. Stick to what you do best and outsource everything else. Don't try to hire and train employees for things that you're not good at. We're not good at printing. So we contract all our printing out to a printing company. We're not good at that. Why why would I try to hire employees and buy a bunch of equipment to do our own printing? Hell no, I'm just going to contract that out. This is nothing more than taking that further. Just saying, look, here's what we do. We're going to stick to it. We don't know trucking. We're just going to contract with these trucking companies. We don't want to do that. We'll we'll let them do it. Well, so there's a, it's not only trucking, but there's a vast amount of industries out there over Lyft, uh, people that like do cosmetics, they rent a chair at a, at oh, a uh, the, the models you know, to, all, to do hair, ladies all do that through, to do hair. And, you know, it, it, look at the, the building trades. Journal, 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 journalists, you know, they, you know, freelance journalists and whatnot. The, so the, the building like trades. A grab to like get more tax money and, and just... I don't know. I mean, well, here's here's yes, it is a grab to get more tax money easier because like the restaurant association, because they the tips that never get reported. Uh, uh, All of they give a handful of cash in the pocket. Here's the crux of it. When we make somebody an employee, the government has more control over them and their taxes. That's the whole point. So those are my questions, because I think that a lot of people I think it's a real serious issue across the economy. It's a huge issue. And with the the ability to work for yourself. And I I don't think some of the people in our industry are taking it as serious as they should. Not only that. Wait, wait, Mark. Wait, Mark. We have have groups, NOAA, NOOA, whatever the hell they are, a couple others. Not only are they approaching it the way... You're saying they're not paying enough attention to it. Oh, no, they're paying attention to it. They're fighting the opposite battle. They don't think you should be allowed to lease your truck to a carrier. They are supporting the PRO Act. They're not ignoring it. They're promoting it. They're pushing for it. I I think they are so uneducated in their limited view. And here's what I'm saying is I think they're so uneducated that they are perceiving that this is an easier route to not have to do hard work and develop your own customers and clientele and be able to, uh, you know, go out and, 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 and start your business and take care of your customers. 
I had a discussion yesterday with a lady, and I said, told her that, you know, how I'll do whatever it takes to help the customer or whatever. And she just looked at me. She's on that. She's somebody I've worked with in this in my industry. She's basically sometimes hey. a customer. And she said, you're different than everybody else. People hey, hey, Mark. They're looking for the easy way. Mark. Go ahead. Do you know how uneducated yes. and ignorant they are? Let me lay this out for you. Because they are fighting for two things right now that they clearly don't understand. Here's what they're fighting for. This is what this group talks about all day long, these two things. They want the Motor Carrier Act of 1980 to come back. Good with that so far? Yeah, well, that means, that's not going to happen. Well, but, but let's not say it's not going to happen. That's not the point. Let's talk about how ignorant they are wanting it to happen. So understanding the Motor Carrier Act of 1980, what that means is the government gets to determine whether or not you are allowed to have authority. They don't have to give it to you, and they don't have to have any reason other than they don't want to. Yeah, I'm not saying they won't give right. it to you because you're a criminal or you ripped off you know, brokers or carriers and got prosecuted. All I'm saying is they can just look at you and go, no, we're not going to give it to you. We're, we don't even have to tell you why. We just don't think we need yeah. any more trucking companies. So they're pushing for that. Now, they're also pushing for the PRO Act, which would eliminate the ability to lease your truck to a carrier. They are, they are pushing for their own business to be put out of business by the government. They could have their authority taken away under the Motor Carrier Act of 1980, and they wouldn't be able to go lease to a carrier to stay in business. They would just be out of business. And do, do, do they believe, and I don't know what you, I don't know if we know what they believe, but do they believe that, they, do they perceive that a company, let's just use Landstar because they're the big, the big one that has a lot, they're, they're all owner operators. Do they believe that companies such as Landstar are a threat to their existence and that's why they want to like say, yes. oh, those are really company drivers? Yes. Because they can't compete. Correct. That, Is that what they want? Is they look, are they looking for the easy, yeah, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they don't know what they want because they don't even understand these issues. But yes, you're on the right track. They think that these big carriers that can lease on a bunch of owner operators are a problem, and they're controlling rates and all that stuff. So, so yeah, that that's part of their thought process. They don't understand that as one truck, you can offer a superior quality service and can develop your own business out with with a couple handful of carriers. That, hey, Mark. You know, Mark, I, let, let, they yeah. can't even figure out who their customer is. Yeah, they, they, that, <laughs> yeah, they're not the only ones. There's a lot of people in this industry that that's don't what I mean, at, right? Uh, customer service, it's right? Like, they, they, you know, you, they can't really figure out I, who their customer is. That's, I mean, I, I, the other day I, I went and met with one of the new guys that took the place of the guy that retired and, you know, get a chance to meet him. And I just referred to him. I said, you know, you're my customer. And I'm here to do everything I can to help you do whatever you need to do. And I said, I don't limit myself to what I want to do and what I won't do. I said, there you go. Now, I will say that I want my, I want what I want to be able to do is profitable to me. But if you need me to do something out of the ordinary and you're in a bind, I will help you out because you're my customer. And it's like, I didn't go and say I can do it better than you can, but I can do it more efficiently than his company drivers can. Right. So, yeah, because that's, I, I focus on efficiency out here, time, time management, uh, not 
Yeah. Not taking a detour because I wanted to home tonight. I just, you know, I might pass within 15, 20 miles of home, but I'm going to keep. Yeah. I mean, right now I'm passing through Houston going to New Braunfels. I've got my turn to load that was four drops into five drops with 10 cars because there's a shortage of vehicles now. And it's like, you know, I talked to them and they said, well, we got this. They let me pick. And I said, I'll take two to Rosenberg because I have to go back there anyway. There you so go. I'm hey. making more money right now than my original load because one had damage on it out there. But yeah, I, I don't and I don't I don't ever say no. Well, years ago, I worked with Penske and there was a, they had a, a, a system in place. When you worked at Penske in the rental department, it was like you could never, never say no. And to a customer, because if you said no to a customer and they found out you said no and refused some, they would fire you. That was it. Automatic yeah. termination. No. So I, I've learned the process that don't, never say no. Always try to do whatever your customer. And and once you say no to a customer, a lot of times they will think, well, he said no, so they might they they might just discount the fact that you know. He said no, and it's yeah. like, so I never say no. Yep. All right. Hey, yeah, Mark, no got to cut you loose. The calls just keep piling up on me, so uh, we're going to move along. We're going to go to Texas to talk to our other resident car hauler. Paul, good morning. Howdy. What's on your mind today? Um, well, cars mostly, but if you put, if they merged with the wider, the new title would probably be, no idea or something. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and by the way, I am a OIDA member, so I can say what I damn well please. I, I don't I, care I, if they're I, offended. I yeah. haven't been an OIDA member for 30 years. I was for one year, and I still think I can say whatever the hell I want about them, and I offend them all the time. So. Yeah, yeah. They put themselves out there. They yeah, absolutely. They the target on themselves. But, That's right. Yeah. So... <clears throat> The the car thing, the electric car. Yeah. Well, I just the, the thirty vehicles I've loaded this year, zero electric, but nineteen hybrid out of thirty. Really? I, I'm only doing yeah Dodge. They came out with this little Dodge Hornet, and it's the little hot cake at the moment. Are I only have, are most of these what yeah. they call the plug-in hybrids? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, you always check in the back, make sure it's got the extension cord of the big plug in there. So yeah, they got a they got a gas flap on one side and an electric outlet on the other side. So there you go. Hey. Sometimes they are a little problem child. So it took me fifty five minutes the other day to get one of them started and get it off my truck. So. Well, you know, there are a lot of people who think hybrid is the transition and the way to go. And I'm not sure if I agree with it or not. I I don't know if I see enough advantage to the hybrid. Is there any real cost savings to owning one of those things? Or do I just now have a much more complicated vehicle? Yes, I think so. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm the last. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, like to me... All the vehicles I haul, it's just another vehicle, and a vehicle. I don't really look at the spec. It's not something I'm interested in buying because nearly two years ago I went out and bought a used Kia, and 20 years ago a Kia and a Hyundai and a Daewoo they were a piece of crap, and it's like yeah, buy that cheap car, and when it craps out, just take it to the scrap metal place and go buy another <laughs> one because that's right. where you're at. Right. Yeah. But, a lot, a lot of people, they say, oh, I'm going to buy a, I'm going to buy a, a, a GM, a, a Buick, or a little Chevy or whatever. It's like, yeah, that, it might have been built in Mexico or 
China it, or Korea for so many vehicles. Look here, just it, because it's an American name brand, it done it can be it parts all over the world. I, I've yeah. taken I've taken a lot of heat on this topic over the years, even prior to being on the radio. Just just friends and family, and my approach to foreign vehicles. Um, when I started buying foreign vehicles, I was buying mostly German, older, used. They were great values. The first BMW I ever bought, I only paid $10,000 for it. It was a little uh, three series, pretty practical car. Um, one of the best vehicles I had ever owned for $10,000. And, you know, I, yeah. I, I'm i a pretty patriotic guy. I, I served my time. I'm, I'm all about making America great again. But my approach for, for this forever has been, if you want me to buy an American car, they need to start building a better car. That's it. I am not rewarding yeah. them for putting out garbage. I don't care how American you are. Well, and that was when we might have even been able to say most of the car was made here in America. That has totally changed. There's plenty, you, of, you have there's plenty no, of foreign badges in this country. Exactly. America. Right. That, all that, the parts come from all over the world. So, that, yeah. I, from what I understand, I think if we look at trucks, a Volvo truck is more American than sometimes a pack car. Based on where all the yeah, components well, are built and well, all that other... A lot of the Cascadias, I think most of them are built in Mexico. Exactly. So so that that's changed. But even before that, when we could say, yes, this car this is being built in Japan and this one's being built in the U.S., you should buy U.S. My approach was, I'll buy U.S. Yep. when they put out a car that actually has some value compared to everybody else. And they still don't, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, well, um, on my little Kia, if, if I want to be in economy mode, mode when my wife's in the passenger seat i'll put it in eco or comfort and if i want to have some fun if a if someone in a a little hot rod little racer thing comes up beside me i'll automatically click it around into sport mode just in case he wants to have a race yeah <laughs> and it's yeah. a and it's a totally different car the click of a switch it's like Oop, we're awake now yeah it's like giving it a pittsburgh power tune on the spot click click we go. Yeah, late late eighties, yeah. so. early nineties, when I started to you know discover the the German cars and some of the other European cars, I just found far more value in them. Japanese cars had more value. The what? Korean cars, when they came out within a couple of years, had more value than anybody. I mean, that's why I still say today, yeah. if you're a value buyer and yep. you need to get the most value out of your car dollar, I, I would say buy Korean. Yeah, yeah, they they like kissing cousins, Kia and Hyundai. Yeah, they're they're all they're all related. So yeah, but, uh, I can tell you um, a model of Mercedes that's built in Mexico, but you didn't know that one. Uh, probably not. Which one? A, a GLB Mercedes. Really? A GLB two fifty. That's, that's built their in Mexico. That kind of makes sense. That's their cheap car. Yeah, that's the cheap one. Yeah, but it, it, it's kind of funny because they they load them on the boat. And they run them around there to Brunswick, Georgia, and then they ship them. They send them by truck from Brunswick, Georgia to Texas and Oklahoma <laughs> <laughs> when it was built in Mexico. <laughs> yeah, but it's let, logistic. Well, it's got to get over the border somehow. But you know, it, I, I, it, I guess you got to know about logistics to know how this stuff. Works. Airplane and shipping logistics is 
Well, well that's how slightly different than trucking. That's so, how we started yeah. our show today. That seems to me like that's part of that crazy, complicated global mm-hmm. supply chain. Yeah. Where you well, built the car, you could have drove it right across the border into Texas. Instead, you put it on a ship, send it over to the East Coast, and then ship it to Texas? That, yeah. I'm but, sure they have some reason why they do it, but that's kind of what this uh, whole yeah. concept is. You might have a reason, but it, it's not going to keep working to do that kind of stuff anymore. Yeah. And then so the, the last boatload of cars that was meant to come in down there in Freeport, Texas, that we have the contract on, it had it was meant to have 652 vehicles on it for us, and end of the year tax reasons and all sorts of who are they got to get them on the ground to meet their numbers and a whole lot of shit that I don't understand. So they decided, well, they're still going to Texas and Oklahoma and Arkansas, but we're going to unload them in Jacksonville, Florida, because it gets them on the ground. There's obviously a reason. Yeah. So, but they didn't unload them all. They they left 36 on the boat and they sent them around. Texas, but they bring other stuff as well. But I said to the the dispatch, I said, so "Are we gonna are we gonna still be hauling that to the destinations?" And he says, "I don't know." But they said that we could put a bid on on it. And I said, "Well, don't don't give them a cheap bid." I said, "Keep the number up there," because he said, "Well, I don't know it, exactly the destinations." He said, six hundred odd vehicles." He said, "They might be going to three hundred dealers." And he said, "If that's the case, he said they can keep it." and give it to someone else. But when I delivered down there at South Texas the other day, the guy said, are you coming back? He said, because I've got a bunch of cars up there. And I said, well, they might not be up there. They might be in Florida. Well, why would they be in Florida? And I told him, and he's like, what? And he said, so are you going to be bringing them? I said, I don't know. I said, it could be any Joe Bloggs carrier that you don't know. And he said, and I've been going to this guy for a couple of years now and not damaging stuff. And he says, I hope you guys get it," he said, "because you're really easy to deal with, and you don't damage anything. So yeah, you, know, hey. you create your own reputation. So because when I deliver there, and since the week before Christmas, I've taken ten, nineteen, thirty-two vehicles to him since the week before Christmas. Wow! And he said you're real easy to deal with, and because they have the Alfa Romeo, yeah, as well. So so a lot of those have been the. The Hornet, ver- the Alfa Romeo version of the Hornet, the okay. same vehicle, right? It's a hybrid, so yeah. So hey, you know, we were we, we've talked to, to yeah. we, well, we've talked a lot about rates today, and we were talking about these groups that want the government to <clears throat> you know fix everything, and and uh, here and I talked about how supply and demand in business is a fairly simple concept, but a lot of people don't understand it or don't believe in it. And in trucking, it is more complicated. I get that. That's why I talk about it a lot and try to help people understand it. I, there is a tweet right now, such a great example of this. Um, the guy who put the original uh, post up is actually one of the financial analysts at DAT. I, I follow him and interact with him on, on Twitter. He, he does this for DAT. So here's what he put up. Uh, he says, I'd submit this little anecdote to anyone who believes that head haul and back haul are a myth. This idea in the industry that there's no such thing as a back haul and their, their justification is that their cost is the same no matter what direction they're going in. Well, they're correct, 
but you, you can't change reality. Supply and demand is a yeah. real thing, so you're not going to get the same rate. It, it's going to be a different rate. It may be higher, though, depending on how you're looking at this. But he gives this great example of what's going on right now. Uh, this is over the last seven days. Dry van spot rate all in rate per mile means we're not separating out of fuel surcharge. This is the last seven days all in on this rate. Los Angeles to Denver, the inbound. No, hold on a second. Denver, Colorado. Mm-hmm. Inbound imbalanced by 28%. What that means, actually by negative 28%, what that means is there's a lot more freight going into Denver, Colorado than there is coming out. We got that so far? Yep. And that's almost always that way in Denver. We've known that forever. Now, Los Angeles. Mm Mm-hmm. Outbound imbalanced by 28%. The opposite is happening. There's a ton of freight trying to get out of Los Angeles, not enough coming in. And what that does is it creates an imbalance of trucks. There's a lot of freight there, but we're not getting any trucks in because there's not enough freight coming in. Denver and L.A. are the opposite. So now here's what that does. If you want to go from Denver to Los Angeles, you're going to get between 99 cents a mile to a dollar 37 a mile. That's the rate, the real rate in that lane over the last 7 days. That's the range. Now on the other hand, yeah. if you want to go from Los Angeles to Denver, you're going to get between 279 and 320 a mile. And if you don't understand this concept, you are going to struggle. If you understand this concept, you can thrive. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, oh, oh, uh, wait, 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 listen to listen to the response. The first response to this, the reply to this post from one of the officers of NOOA. He's the first one to reply to this guy. Oh, and by the way, this guy from DAT is now being sued and his job has been threatened by James Lamb and SBTC. Because this guy keeps posting Crazy. stuff that, that James Lamb doesn't agree with. So he's suing him and trying to get him, getting, trying to get him fired from dad. That's the drama going on with yeah, these ridiculous. idiots. So listen to the yeah. officer of NOA responding. So are the people living and working out of Colorado to who it's a head haul out getting a proper rate, a sustainable rate? Oh, but that isn't how it works, right? Right. You're right. It is not how it works. You do not get a sustainable rate just because you're in business. That's not how business works. It's not how business should work. There are no guarantees. No, you don't get a sustainable rate if you live in Colorado, unless you can figure out how to haul freight that cheap. And one of the ways to be able to haul freight that cheap is to make sure you're also getting premium freight to balance it out. That's how business works. These idiots cannot uh, comprehend that. No matter how much evidence is put right in front of them, they still can't understand this concept. Dumb as a box of hammers. Yes. So I I think there's going to be some rate up and down, maybe starting this week and next week, because of this frigid cold weather coming. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because because it's like, oh, we, we we couldn't get to work, or the electricity went off, or the... 
the shit didn't get here, and we yeah. don't. And then, oh, we got to play catch up. Oh, we, oh shit, the, it's up sixty cents a mile this week, or whatever. Oh, we got to get this out before the cold weather comes. And so. if you understand that, and you can just look ahead a couple of days or a couple of weeks, we usually get pretty accurate ten-day weather forecasts. All this stuff matters. Yeah, well, the temperature at my house on Monday in south of Oklahoma City meant to be zero. Yeah, that's that's might do some, might do some, <laughs> that might change might do some a few cold things. Weather training, huh? Yeah. All right, Paul. I'm going to cut you loose. Calls are still piling up. Let's. Uh, Let's go to Ohio. Austin, welcome to the program. Hello? Yeah. How are you today? Good. What's on your mind today? I have a question about deadheading. Okay. So, I've always been told to keep it at like 10% as like an overall number. Okay. But that was when I did van. And well, I when I did my operation with van, I had a guy help me and that's he did van for... I think about 10 years and he did a lot of drop and hook. Now in flat bedding, there's no such thing as drop and hook. And what I found is I do a lot of deadheading to get my load. And I don't really know how, or if it's just, that's how flat bedding is. It's just more deadheading involved. Yes, it, it, it is. It, it, in general, we're always making generalized statements like your generalized statement. There's no drop and hook in flat bed. I'm sure there is somewhere. You're right. It's not common. It doesn't happen very often at all, but it probably happens somewhere. So we're making general statements. Yes, in most flatbed open deck operations, there's more deadhead. The reason is there's not as many products as you can, that you can put on that trailer. We have more van freight right. than any other kind of freight. Of course, you would be able to do less deadheading in that. We go to open deck, just a flatbed, you're probably going to have a little more deadheading because there just aren't as many places around the country that ship that kind of freight. Now we go to step deck, might be even a little worse. Go to heavy specialized, you're going to do a ton of deadheading. It's just, a, it, it's just that there's just not as many of those products, that's all. But here's the thing. I, I don't get too crazy. I, I'm going to try to change your whole mindset about this and simplify this for you. I, I get it, 10%. Okay. I, I can't argue that number. Sure, that's a good number. If you could get to 10% dead editing and drive in, you'll probably be doing okay. I don't want to have to work that hard calculating that kind of crap all the time. If you're doing your accounting right, right, here's a better way to approach this. What was your overall rate per mile on all miles you put on your truck when you were pulling van freight? Um. That I don't know because I didn't start calculating my stuff until I went over to flatbed. And I've been in flatbed for two years now. So I'm at like 80 cents a mile net. But that was. No, no hold on. This hold on. Hold, hold on. Don't answer a question I didn't ask. I didn't ask for your net because that would do me no good right now. What I'm asking for is your gross rate per mile on all miles you put on the truck. Okay, it's just over, it's, it's at 210. Okay, my guess is, now, now here's part of the problem. If we were to go back to when you were pulling a van, the rates were really strong back then. They're not now. Yes. But what we would have compared no. had you had all your numbers, rather than try to figure out, well, if I'm supposed to be at 10% on a van and I got to calculate this all the time, that's just extra work. Now, what am I supposed to be on a flatbed? Well, I don't know. It depends on who you ask. But instead of asking what I'm supposed to be, because there's no real answer to that, 
if I were going to switch to flatbed, I would want to know that my overall rate might get better. Even though I have more deadhead, could my overall rate be higher? Right. And I think that's so, where I'm So here's the goal. Making, here's uh, the number you should be tracking. You can you kind of know in your head if you're deadheading a lot or not. I, I don't I don't write this number down. Yeah. I wouldn't calculate it. It's not important to me. What is important to me, and we could go back to your number of 80 cents a mile net. Hopefully that was better than when you were doing a van. I don't know. You don't know because we don't have the rates. But that's what I would track. What The only important number to me here is, is how much I'm taking home at the end of the day. And I don't want to do a whole bunch of work on things I don't need to and tracking my deadhead. Um, just has never been all that important to me. Yeah. Okay. I mean... I look at it as like if I do if I calculate the deadhead miles, let's say it's 300 miles and I'm going on a 2,000 mile trip, the load pays eight grand. I mean that's still pretty good. Like that's still a pretty good rate. I would take that. And I mean as long as I'm happy with that, I think I'm okay. I don't think I need to go off of what someone else is. Well, first off, what you just said is exactly correct. If I'm happy with this, who the hell cares what anybody else thinks or some random number somebody came up with and said, you know, this. Yeah, what the most important thing about running your own business is you're happy with your business and your rate. Yeah. Now, if we want to make those numbers better, the way we do it is track them. And and, and I'm not saying we shouldn't pay attention to deadhead. It's just not something I ever had to formally track. I I kind of knew in my mind, am I running too many deadhead miles? And if I want to get my net up, one of the ways I can do it is by not running as many deadhead miles. But I I don't have formulas and, you know, I got to be at 10% with this kind of trailer and 17% with this guy. That's a whole bunch of numbers that I just don't need to do. Right. Yeah. I mean, what really kills me is when I go home, so because I'm going to have to deadhead a 1,000 miles because of where I live. So I'm going to just move back to Utah, and then I don't have to deadhead it, anything. It, I can it, usually it, get a load in and out of Salt Lake. It, there you go. That, that's one way. Here's another reason why this, this might not be an important number. Let me give you a great example of an open deck operation that has an incredibly high amount of deadhead miles, exactly 50%. That's a lot. Huh. But I would buy yeah, but I would buy that guy's business today if he would sell it to me because he's making two dollars and sixty two cents a mile on all miles with fifty percent deadhead. That's pretty good. I mean, I could see I could see how you know deadheading in flatbed is just like sometimes you might deadhead eight nine hundred miles. You know what? Uh, that pays that good. You know one of the worst operations common obviously. You know, um, heavy specialized is like this, but a more common operation that has tons of deadhead miles. In many cases, about fifty percent. It's tanker. Oh, okay. That's such a so. well. That's such a specialized product that you know you got to do washouts in between certain kind of products. You can't haul food grade in certain trailers. That the the. the product you're putting in that tanker is so specific the odds of you getting freight back and forth are pretty slim yeah that's what i uh figure um with that 
I mean, one thing that really is hard for me to understand is how stuff moves, because if I deliver something to a power plant, like I am next week, I'm going to an oil refinery in North Dakota. I mean, what are the odds that I could get something out of there? I mean, I asked the North Dakota, there, but they're like, oh, we never. Uh, it, it, yeah. Almost none. Right. Yeah, there are parts of the country right. that are notorious for imbalances. Florida is a huge one. A lot of freight going in, not a lot coming out. Denver, we just gave an example of. North Dakota, uh, there's just not a lot of manufacturing going on in North Dakota. There's some products coming out, but, but it's pretty common to get in there and not be able to get back out of there. The other place you, you, the more you get to the middle of the country, for the most part, the more the deadhead issue should go away. If you're at the ends yeah, of the country, that. Florida, Washington State, Maine, far, well, Southern California doesn't hold up because of all their produce. Um, but it, it's hard to get out of those places. And one of the reasons is there is no through freight coming through Seattle. The only freight you're getting right. out of Seattle is something that's manufactured in Seattle. You're not getting something that was further west and is being shipped through Seattle. So it, it, no. it, understanding all of those things about our supply chain helps you choose better freight. And instead of educating themselves, most of our industry just wants to sit back and bitch that the rates out of Denver are too low. No, they're not. They're exactly what they should be. Yeah, there's a reason why, because there's so many trucks that go there. Right, right. It's supply and demand. You can't say that rate is too low. It's a free market. The rate is exactly what it should be. Yeah, yeah. Well, I agree with that. I mean, I just think that there's got to be a way that I can get my own set of contracts and my own customers. Cause absolutely, you can. Goal. Yeah, absolutely, you can. I quit using Landstar, but for now... I mean, Landstar works really well for me, but, but a lot of people find that. I have that, a couple right. trucks and my own people. Just one more thing. Are we going to do the group coaching today at 3? We are. 3 Eastern time. Yes, we have group coaching today. Okay. Okay, I'll be in there for that. Okay, well, thank and you. kind of answered. You kind of made me feel better about Deadhead because yeah. that's don't, killing me. Don't listen I to think, anybody else. So. Or listen to them, but, you know, in the back of your mind, know that it's just one more person and one more person's opinion. You, okay. you're okay. smart enough to know what works for you in your business. Don't worry too much about what anybody else right. is telling you. Okay. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Thanks for reminding me about the announcement. Uh, I was supposed to announce our trucking group coaching, business group coaching is today. Um, yes, it's a big focus on trucking, obviously, but any, any business or financial question uh, you want me to help you with is what I do in the business or trucking group coaching. We do health coaching and business coaching, business and financial. Uh, so if you have a question about your retirement accounts, about investments, about budgeting, about credit, whatever it might be, we cover all that in, uh, in our coaching. When you join the coaching program, you get all of it. You, you get health coaching, business coaching, financial coaching, trucking coaching, anything you want me to help you with. And if for some reason I can't help you with something, I'll just tell you. Look, I don't know anything about that. Uh, but I can help people with a lot of important stuff. That's what our coaching program's about. 
Uh, It's kind of similar to the radio show, except um, we go much, much deeper and I take a lot more time with each individual case than I could ever do on the radio. So if you want to join us, you should. You should join in the coaching program. It's a month-to-month program. You can drop out anytime you want. You can get back in anytime you want. Um, For what you are getting, I believe it is an incredible value. I have had people over the years that want to work with me directly and I've had offers to pay me to work with me directly. And I used to, I, I, I can't do that. I just don't have time. I, I, I would much rather be able to help a hundred people on a group coaching program than, than one at a time who has to pay me a lot of money. So the number I came up with to kind of discourage people from that, I, I would say, look, I, I, I can do it. I can do some direct one-on-one consulting. I get a lot of small fleets that kind of ask for this, 15 to 30 trucks. And I'll say, you know, I can help you with this, but it's $500 an hour. And and I'm going to have to put some hours in just to learn your business before I can make really good recommendations. And, and, And I almost feel bad even saying that because it sounds like such an outrageous number. But, but it's, it, it would take that much for me to take time and work with one company. I, I, like I said, I'd rather, and that's why we came up with the group coaching. Instead of $500 an hour, you get the same kind of advice, darn close to it, for $72 a month. And you get it on all these areas, health, trucking, business, money, credit, investments, retirement, whatever. Uh, so we're, we're excited about the program. I think it's a great way to help a lot of people at a deeper level than I'm able to do here on the radio show. So um, head on over to, uh, to our website, Let's Truck Tribe, and you can get signed up for our coaching. You could be on our call today. You can go sign up now and be on our call today. Here's the other way we do it. it you can't just drop into the coaching call today and say, I want you to help me with your, my budget. Well, you can do that. It, it's going to be a process. I'm going to go give you homework. You're going to have to go do certain things. Then you're going to bring that back to me. And, and this happens over weeks. That, that's the beauty of this, though. I'm, I'm able to help a lot more people. The other beauty of the group idea is I love teaching people. I love educating. Well, you get to hear all of these real world case scenarios where I'm helping somebody troubleshooting a problem you may face someday. You may be facing it right now. It just might not be your biggest problem. But in the group, you are going to learn all kinds of stuff because you're going to hear me and and watch me working one on one troubleshooting these kind of problems. Like I said, much deeper than we can do here on the radio. So uh, come on over and join us. Go to Let's Truck Tribe and sign up for that uh, group coaching. Let's go to Colorado this time. Rob, welcome. Hey, Kevin. Can you hear me? I can. What's on your mind today? Um, so I've got one of these uh, constant glucose monitors. I've been wearing it for a couple of days. Uh, which one do you have? And I was wondering if you could help the uh, Dexcom. Okay. G G6, I think. Yep. Yeah, I can help you with this. What's and, your question? Um, do you so I, I need some help with these numbers um so it they're saying that a normal fasting blood glucose should be around like 70 to 100. let me and give you the exception because there's a big exception to this that they don't understand 
And the big exception okay. is that is a normal range for somebody who is on the standard American diet and is not yet a full-blown diabetic. That, that's a pretty normal range. Now, what they will tell you is if you're higher than 100 as your fasting average, you're pre-diabetic if you're 110. Well, they could very well be wrong. Here's the, the big factor. If you are eating a very low-carb diet, a low-carb paleo, a keto, a, a carnivore, a ketovore, anything really low-carb, and doing some intermittent fasting, you are probably going to much more likely be in the range of about 90 to 110 for your fasting. And that's oh, normal okay. and healthy. So I'm not, yeah, I'm not. So, well, because it like, so I get up about four in the morning and at like three, it, it varies, you know, because I've been watching it for a few days now. My blood sugar will go from like 95 to 135. Yep. Just before I wake up in the morning, you're, and you're, I thought that might be a little high. Now, your body is making glucose. Your number may be even higher than the range I just said because you're getting up so early. You're getting up at a time when your body is just starting to, to produce that glucose overnight. The other okay. thing we find... Yeah, because I, I do follow Jason Fong and what well, yeah, I follow you uh, for then, then that's exact, 15 years. Your range is exactly where I would expect it to be. The medical community does not understand this at all. Okay, now um, I ate an apple the other night to test it out, and it did climb up to like 160 for about a half an hour to 40 minutes, and then... I did my X3 uh, workout and it dropped to like 90. Perfect. Within, is, is the one, they're that, telling me anything over 140 is, correct. is bad too, that, that, is that not? That is, that is a legitimate range, the 140 is. I will agree with them okay. that we all want to stay under 140 because when we go above 140, that's enough sugar floating around in our bloodstream that it can start to cause issues. And is that I, just I'm, because I, it's, if I'm, it stays there for prolonged periods of time? Correct. When it's mm -hmm. elevated, your, 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 your body only wants so much sugar in the blood because it, it causes what's called glycation. You know how... And this is going to be okay. a simple analogy, but it, it's pretty accurate. You know how anytime you come in contact with sugar, it's very sticky? Yes. It, it does the same thing in the body. The reason we get um, neuropathy, why, why diabetics get neuropic pain um, in their feet, in their extremities, is because years and years of too much sugar in the bloodstream starts to coat the nerve endings and and those nerve endings stop firing correctly because they're being coated by this sugar this glycation um it's why okay. they why diabetics start to lose their vision their optic nerves get covered with this it's why we now call alzheimer's type 3 diabetes because the 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 neurons in the brain get glycated with this years of high sugar. So that number is 140. If you keep your blood sugar under 140, glycation never happens. 
the longer you stay above 40 and the higher you stay above 40, glycation will absolutely happen and you'll end up with all of these complications of diabetes. I am a little okay, so concerned that just an apple sent you to 160. Well, it was it was after dinner, right? So Oh, okay. So you had a you had a dinner as well. Okay. I I, I ate some gluten-free pizza, um, so oh, probably a little high in carbs. Not, not a little high. That gluten-free pizza may have had more carbs than the apple did. And it didn't spike it much, and then about 45 minutes I ate that apple, and then it bumped up because uh, it went to about 140, and then it went up above. But then, you know, I always do my X3. Uh, yeah, that should bring it uh, right back sometime down. Sometime after dinner. That, that, and and that what's, brought it right. What's happening down, there? Like, yeah, what's happening there is your cells were already loaded with glycogen from eating all those carbs, and one of the quick ways to burn off that glycogen is high intensity uh, movement of some kind. Weightlifting is one of the best. So the X3 bar really intense, just burns off a ton of glycogen, and then your body can take the sugar, the excess sugar that's in your blood, and move it into the cells now. Okay. Yeah, I just, I just, I bought the thing, wanting to check it out, you know, and uh, I got a, a pretty good deal on it, and I thought, man, those blood sugars seem a little high. But I, I think everybody been, should wear a CGM at least once in their life. Really, I, I think it's one of the most yeah, amazing was, tools we have for understanding our metabolism. But I got, I got a little concerned when I started seeing that, like every morning before so, I get up, it, it I, just. It goes from like 90 or 85 straight to 130, that, 135, and it's, it's there right now. It's, it's the lowest it's been all day. One I of, haven't touched anything to eat since 5 o'clock last night. I, that, I was going to say one of the experiments you can try is just not eat quite as late at night. How long have you been eating low carb? Uh, six like five, six years. Oh, okay. I, of course, I, I, this, the, this, if you really want to holidays and stuff like that. No, I, I, I get it. If you really want to dig deeper yeah. into this, cause it, the, the 90 to 110 in the morning, that kind of stuff, even that those occasional spikes up to 130, those don't bother me. The 160 does, but you know, that, like you said, you had a gluten-free pizza. They're pretty high in carbs. You had the apple, um, if you wanted to dig in and find out if there's something maybe that could still be improved, that's the kind of stuff we do on the group coaching. We could okay. do a NutriQ. I could yeah. look at your entire CGM history and see if there's something in there I spot. I wouldn't be too overly concerned about this. I, I don't think it's any big deal. Well, I plan on, you know, staying on the bandwagon for yeah, yeah. the next little while anyway, because... Well, wait, oh, wait, hey, wait, wait, wait a minute. What do you mean staying on the bandwagon for a little while? The way you eat? Well, what I mean is um, I'm going on a cruise at the end of the month. So, so I don't what? Know what kind of food they're going to have. I, I can tell you this. Eat, There's lots of meat on cruises. I can't think yeah, of it. So. I can't think of an easier place to eat than a cruise and an easier place to eat really, really clean and healthy. Other than the fact that it's cruise food, we can't control that. I get it. Yeah. But 
if all we eat is meat, then there's not a big issue on the fact that it, it's cruise quality. It, it's meat still, or eggs, or fish, or there, there's tons of yeah, seafood. Now, here's the thing. I misspoke. I misspoke. I shouldn't have said for a little while. I meant yeah, no, but, but here's, here's the approach I would take to this. I, I just made the claim that eating really clean on a cruise is probably easier than anywhere because you're surrounded by food and you can go eat anytime you want. Somebody else makes it for you. That, that's pretty damn easy. Here's the challenge. Sure. You're also surrounded with tons and tons of food that you shouldn't be eating. And it's available and sure. easy. So this really just comes down to your decisions. Do you want to eat that stuff and say, look, it's a cruise. I'll deal with it. And then I'll get back on the wagon. Um, and you can. Nothing wrong with that. I, I, I doubt that. You know, it's going to take a day off of your life or something. Or um, I, I just, the way I look at this is if I want to enjoy myself on this cruise, I want to feel good. I don't want to wake up tomorrow with joint pain because I eat a bunch of bonbons or donuts or, uh, you know, I don't want to be dealing with digestive issues because I eat a bunch of food I shouldn't be eating on a cruise. I, I'd rather just eat the meat seafood, eggs, all that stuff I know I can eat with no problems and enjoy myself on the cruise and feel better. Sure. Well, it's going to be tough to get GF bad stuff. I wouldn't even touch it anyway. I don't, right. I don't touch wheat products. So. Right. But, but, but there's an awful lot of, of sugar that we could be consuming. Yeah. Uh, and, and I have found oh, yeah. that sugar will put me right back into pain pretty quickly. Yeah, I, yeah, I tend it, 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 it tends to be more muscle pain. If I were to eat a grain or anything near a grain, I tend to get joint pain. If I eat too many seed oils from restaurants, I tend to get joint pain. If I get too much sugar back in my diet, even if it's in kind of clean foods, um, I tend to get muscle pain for some reason. Okay. Um, and then I did... So I, I've been doing a lot of research with the Jason Fung uh, fasting. Yeah, good stuff. And uh, is there like, so what he's saying is, you know, like if you're doing a 24-hour or like a 23-hour fast, for example, eating one meal a day, that your the meal that you eat shouldn't be, a lot of people tend to like shove down 3,000 calories in that one meal, and that's not really benefiting you i'm assuming he's talking about eating a standard american diet not, uh, his recommendation would not be the standard american diet he, he's pretty big on on eating clean he is he does spend a lot more time talking about fasting uh here's my take on this i don't even like to use the word calorie ever or numbers of calories or it, sure. here's the way i approach this i eat when i'm hungry i don't eat when i'm not and if I can figure out that eating two big ribeyes and, and you know, or, or 16 ounces of ribeye and four eggs for my one meal a day keeps me pretty happy and satisfied till I get to eat again the next day and I'm not really hungry, that's the way I'm going. If I have to spend three or four or five hours a day saying, boy, I, I'm kind of hungry, I really want to eat, but I'm not supposed to eat till five o'clock, I, I don't want to live like that. Well, for right now, I'm holding myself to that. But, yeah, I don't always do that. Um, yeah, I, I don't. My, my just, approach to this, and it has worked really, really well 
for me personally, if I'm hungry, I eat. I don't care if I'm if I said I'm intermittent fasting and I only eat one meal a day or two meals a day. I, there are some days where the minute I get off the air, I am hungry and I'm going to go eat. And that's the way I've done this for over a decade. And I can maintain my weight anywhere I want. If I want to be 140, I can be 140 and not be hungry. If I want to be 160, I could be 160 and not be hungry. It just, it's what I eat, not how much. I eat as much as I need to sure. eat to not ever really be hungry. So, and then just one more quick question. I'll let you get somebody else. But so in the Bulletproof coffee, right, all I put in there is light balance, the D3K2 drops, and then uh, heavy whipping cream, MCT oil, and butter. Is any of that causing an it, it, issue? No, if there were one thing I would cut out of that, and you don't have to, I don't think it's a big deal. If there were one thing, I might cut out the heavy cream, but I don't think it's going to make much of a difference. Okay. Yeah, I just, I like that. That I don't know why. I, I mean, maybe I should throw some more butter in there and try that. That's what I do. I'll tell you, here's what I I've been kind of in a pattern. I do this more in the winter time than I do in the summer. I drink my regular NDK coffee in the morning with lots of butter and lots of coconut oil. Um, same thing, you D3, okay. light balance, a little bit of cinnamon. That's my morning drink, always has been. I love it. In the winter time, I tend to do another cup in the afternoon or early evening, and I make it decaf because I don't want the caffeine. And I do heavy whipping cream that I have a little frother at home that heats it up and froths it so it doesn't make my coffee cold. Um, Heavy whipping cream. I try to find A2 when I can get it. It's not always easy. But if I can get A2 heavy whipping cream, I will get that. It's less reactive. Uh, And a little bit of chocolate, like a a raw chocolate cacao, a little bit of that, and um, a little bit of maple sugar. And I eat so low carb that, you know, a teaspoon or two of maple sugar is not a big deal for me. It's got some minerals in it. Um, that to me is like dessert. I mean, I, I love that cup of coffee later in the afternoon. It's got that little bit of sweetness. It's got the chocolate. It's got the heavy whipping cream. It's nice and rich and creamy. Uh, so that's not a big deal either. I mean, again, if you can get a really good quality A2 heavy whipping cream, that that makes it better. But in that first one in the morning, I think I'd just add more butter. So so if I add the cacao, I haven't been doing that, but if I add the cacao, that shouldn't be a... I don't know how many carbs are actually in that. I never looked. Um, Not enough for me to worry about it because I really don't have to count carbs anymore either. I eat so low carb, and I can handle about... 75 grams of carbs a day without really gaining any weight or maybe just a little. So I I eat so low carb that I don't even come close to that 75 grams anymore. Okay. Yeah. I'll have to play around with it and see what's, uh, what's happening. I was just a little concerned about that because in the morning it's, you know, I'm fasting. I've been fasting for, you know, almost 12 hours. Believe it or not. It's the fasting that causes the higher blood sugar. Because here's what happens. If you were to run out of glucose in your body, and and technically our body only holds about 2,000 calories worth of glucose at a time in the form of glycogen. So like we were saying earlier, when you did that 
intense workout, your blood sugar goes way down because you burn off all that glycogen that was being stored in your cells. Now it's gone. Well, here's the thing. If we were able to deplete all of that glycogen and there's no more glucose in our body, we would die. You can't survive without some glucose in your body. Your brain needs it to function. But uh, the the liver producing it then? Correct. The liver then takes proteins and fats and converts them to glucose. But when it does it, 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 that's why you're seeing that blood sugar spike. It'd be just like eating an apple or a banana. Your body is saying, hey, wait a minute. Glucose stores are getting a little low here. We're going to make some. And it tends to happen overnight about 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. So if you're checking your CGM there, you're probably going to see a spike. Yeah. Yeah, it'll drop down into the 80s. Yeah, that's why. And and then all of a sudden it'll just boom. Yeah, it, 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 it's on it its way down. Get up, I guess. It, it's on its way down, and your body says, hey, wait a minute, this isn't a good pattern. If, if this keeps going, we could die, and it, it will produce glucose. And then you see the spike, completely normal. And that's why I called, because everybody else is saying, oh, it should be here all the time, but they're all taking metformin and eating, you know, McDonald's and all the other junk you can eat. So that's why I asked exactly. you. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, we have we have we identified this pattern a long time ago and it is very, very consistent. Well, I just started, so I'll keep watching it and uh, I'll look into that group coaching and do a neutral cue and all that stuff and we can go over it. Perfect. Sounds good. And like I said, con- congratulations on getting the CGM. I think everybody should wear one. All right. We are going to take one last phone call. I know we've got calls on the line. I can't turn off our phone lines on this system. On our other system, when I realize we're getting close to the end of the show, I can just turn it off so you don't sit there on hold and then not get through. Unfortunately, I can't do that. So if you're on hold, uh, I when I take this next call, if it's not you, or if your call hasn't been screened yet, you might as well go ahead and drop off. We're, uh, I wanted to get finished today by 10. Um, I've gone really long on a lot of my calls, but I'm going to take one more that we screened. Uh, Jerry in Kentucky, welcome. I feel so honored to be the last call. Good grief. How long you want to go here? Another hour? Uh, we'll see. As, as long as you're interesting, no, like... we'll keep talking. How's that? I. I could. Every time I call in, I got about nine things I could talk about, but I try to limit it to one. Uh, About three weeks, four weeks ago, you were on a call and you were talking to, I believe, Danny, and I think it was him anyway. He has had some borderline high blood pressure. He was talking about his doctor had was testing him for nitrous oxide levels. How easy is it to test for nitrous oxide? How accurate is it? And what would cause the body to block the utilization of nitrous oxide. We, we might test our car for nitrous oxide. We're testing our body for nitric oxide. Well, okay. <laughs> Don't Thank ask you, me Mickey. to explain the difference. I failed chemistry, but, but I do know we're, we're looking for nitric oxide. And I think nitrous oxide is what we run really high-performance cars on, maybe. Somebody will correct. Well, maybe that would help your body, too. I also think that, have you ever heard of the term whippets? No. So there is a thing. Human beings will find any way they can to change their their brain chemistry and get high. And 
Um, you, you can actually take a can of whipped cream, um, hold it so that the propellant comes out without the whipped cream coming out. And I believe that might be nitrous oxide. Or, or you can buy little cartridges of it, and people inhale this stuff to get high. They call them whippets. Does it work pretty good, Kevin? It, it, it's yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. <laughs> it only lasts like thirty seconds. It's a crazy. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's it's I, honestly, I'm always transparent <laughs> about this kind of stuff. I have tried all kinds of drugs over my life. I've experimented with a bunch of things. Never this though. I never. I honestly never have done okay. a whippet. Uh, but from what I gather, it's a crazy intense, but it's only like 30 seconds and then it's gone. Yeah. Why bother? I, exactly. Yeah, why bother? Yeah, right. Um, and I, I will also say in transparency, I might've gotten some of that wrong. Chemistry is not my strong point, but I, I think I'm fairly accurate with all that. So nitric oxide is what we are trying to get our body to produce more of because nitric oxide allows our our veins and our arteries and our capillaries to relax it causes them to relax and when they relax they expand and they allow the blood to flow easier that's why our blood pressure goes down this is also the mechanism that the little blue pill uses to fix ed erectile dysfunction is poor blood flow and when we can improve that blood flow, then things work the way they're supposed to. So the, the little blue pill and all the uh, ED drugs work the same way by increasing nitric oxide in the body. Okay. So is there a way to test for it then? And, and are they accurate? And There is. I, I'm not a big fan of testing for this. I, I, I would just well, rather. I thought Danny mentioned in, uh, I thought Danny mentioned in passing that he was doing some sort of a testing or, or something in a test strip or something. The, the doctor, there you can test for nitric oxide. There are strips. It, I just don't find a lot of value in it. Um, if you're curious okay. and you want to try it, you could look it up. I don't have a brand or a method or because I just don't think it's all that important. For me, the the best indicator, two of them really. Um, on whether or not I'm producing enough nitric oxide, uh, especially as we get older, um, is everything working right in the bedroom? And is my blood pressure normal? And if it is, I'm fine. I don't need to test anything. And if it's not, if those two things are not normal, then I know I'm probably not producing enough nitric oxide. I'm just going to go do what I have to do to fix it. I, I, this is one of those things I, I just don't see the value of the testing. So if you were taking two to three scoops of cardio miracle a day and you were still experiencing borderline high blood pressure, that would be an indication you're not, your nitrous oxide levels are low, but, but ingesting maybe. that much cardio miracle in a day, may, what would cause may, it to maybe. block the utilization of it? What if there are other possibilities? What if my body's producing enough nitric oxide? I'm just so overstressed. My blood pressure is still going to be high. Okay. So there's other factors. I mean, there's not, there's not an easy fix into figuring out, other than being stressed, what could be blocking the utilization of the Correct. nitrous oxide. So if we get down to somebody as a problem, they're doing all the right things and their blood pressure still won't come down, and Danny's kind of in that category, then we are going to have to dig deeper. I, I'm not sure at that point the nitric oxide is telling me much. I, I guess it's something. Um, but for the most part, it, it's pretty rare that we have somebody eating the right way, 
taking just a couple supplements a day, nothing major, some, some cardio miracle, 99.5% of the time, blood pressure normalizes. This is not a problem usually. It's usually fairly simple and straightforward. When it is a problem, it can be pretty difficult. There's a lot of digging you got to do to try to figure it out. Danny might be one of those cases. And what digging would you do? Would that have to be like with a Dr. Wilson and yeah, extra blood tests that, or that, what? You know, we, I guess. We, we can do um, some of the preliminary work, and a lot of times we can solve this on group coaching. I just need more time. I need to go in and look at, you know, food journals. Sometimes we might do some limited um, <clears throat> food sensitivity testing because sometimes food sensitivity can, can be the issue here. If we do some of the things we can do in group coaching and we still can't figure it out, then I'm probably going to send you to Dr. Wilson. It's going to require deeper testing and more analysis. And that's pretty rare when it comes to blood pressure. Well, and, and it could be stress. That's, that's a very major factor anymore. So I'm not saying that isn't, but it seemed like I'm kind of in that same boat. The last couple Here, of times I've had it checked, it was just kind of borderline high. And Here's one of the things I would recommend. I, I'm not a big fan of testing. I'm not a big fan of spending a lot of time with doctors, even Dr. Wolfson. I, I'd rather not. Um, I, here's what I would recommend after all the testing and research I've done the last couple of years. Rather than spend a couple thousand dollars and, and the hassle of all this testing, I would get really strict on the stress protocol four times a week for one month before I would spend any money, okay. do any testing. I don't even join the group coaching. If, if this is your only issue, before I'd even try the group coaching, I would just take the stress protocol, be really strict about doing it four times a week for a full 30 days, and if it fixes it, great, then stress was the issue. If it doesn't, then the group coaching might be the next step. All right. And, and that protocol is published now finally, or is it still in the final stages of being in a publishable stand? Uh, I, I did a review uh, two nights ago. Lisa's been the one. Do, well, Lisa and Brittany are working together yeah, on this. Yeah, you said they, Lisa's working on it. She's so. done an amazing job on it. The last version I saw was excellent, and I think we were down to the last couple of issues. I, I'm saying all that because I don't know if it's published yet. Maybe somebody will tell me. Hold on. All right. Um, Angie, if you're well, listening. Well, no, you said or, Lisa was working on it. Yeah, yeah, and like I said, the last review I did, we were very, very close to having it finished. There was a couple sentences we were rewriting and working. So it's either published now and I just don't know it, or we're very close. Well, if it is published, you probably wouldn't know it. You never <laughs> you never know what's going on here. <laughs> uh, that's that's good. All right. Well, hold on one second because Angie uh, kind of missed the first right. part. Angie, I'm looking for the written stress protocol uh, document that Lisa has been working on. Do, do we know if that's finalized yet? This is kind of a, a weird hybrid conversation. I talked to Angie and she texts me back. And now she's checking with Lisa. So, like I said, we're either really, really well, close or it's already done. I'm not sure I'd be smart enough to find it on your website. It seems like that gets <laughs> that, so complicated and trying that, to find stuff. and good that, that was the next challenge. I, when Lisa showed me the last version, I said, I, I am, this is so good. It's written so well. It's easy to understand. 
Uh, it's really clear and concise. I said, I love this document. I wish we could find an easy way to put it on the website so everybody can find it. It's our biggest challenge. We put out a ton of material and trying to keep it all organized gets really difficult. Very. Yeah. For me, anyway, I just get so frustrated trying to find stuff and I just give up instead of doing the hard work and finding it. You know, here's one of the things I can tell you. And we encourage this. We really do. Call Tribe Care. They'll get it to you. Really, I, I it, it, pick All up right. the phone. Don't don't struggle with our website. I, I get it. It's hard to find stuff. It's hard for me to find it. Um, but just just pick up the phone. Call Tribe Care. They'll get it right to you. And they are they've been so good. I cannot compliment them enough on how competent they are. They just do what you need, and and it's just so gratifying to have somebody in your back to take care of things like that for you and and help you along. It's it's just. You've got a great team, Kevin. So. Well, well, thank you for that feedback, and I couldn't agree more. We are blessed when it comes to our employees. Yep. All right. That's enough for today. Then I'll let you wrap it up, and I thank you so much for your time, Kevin. Okay. So here's the answer from Lisa. Okay. She needs to have one final chat with me about how we are going to launch it, and it is ready. The protocol okay. is well, done. Keep an eye and I'm sure I'll see it somewhere. Yeah, we're, we'll have one more meeting about how we're going to launch this, and then we'll get it out there. Yeah. And I, I've i heard you talk about it so much, I should know it, but I'm it, the kind of person that I just need it all spelled out in black and white so that I can follow along on something and not then, get it wrong. So. Then I will promise you this. You are going to love the protocol the way Lisa wrote it up. It, it I will say it's the best protocol we've developed as far as how it's written, but how I'm simple just, we made it. Yeah, it's really good. I'm uh, still not sure I can stand them cold showers. Oh, God, I try to. I try once in a while, and holy cow. Uh, it, it I, is, I just work so long it, to have a, have a nice hot shower that uh, good grief. Last thing in the world I want to do is give a cold shower. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I laugh about this all the time because I, I, I stand there in that hot shower, and I just think to myself, I don't know if I could do this again. Um, I promise yep. you, if you can, and, and it's not easy. I'm not going to tell you you do it once or twice and you get used to it. You don't. It takes me almost three weeks. A good grief. It, it, well, I, we'll it, figure it out. So. And you'll, you'll see it. I believe we may have covered this in the protocol. Uh, if not, you're going to get the Wim Hof app for breathing anyway, or I highly recommend it because it makes the breathing really easy to do it with the app. In the app, he also has a 21-day, I think it's a 21-day, cold shower challenge. And he's got timers in there. And for the first week, you only do 10 or 15 seconds. And then you bump it up a little bit and you bump it up a little bit. It, It is the best way to get started at this. And by the time you finish that 21 days, I promise you, you will start to enjoy this and look forward to it. The challenge then is don't quit which is what I keep doing, because when you quit, you got to go through it all again. It doesn't get easier. You know, there was a Petro up in Wisconsin that was way, 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 way ahead of their time, and this has been several years ago. I took a shower up there to Petro in Wisconsin, and the uh, all you get was cold water, and I finally figured out that the knobs were backwards. <laughs> Somebody plumbed the whole damn thing backwards. Well, anyway, I got done with my shower, and I got out there, and, there, and I could hear a guy yelling at somebody he was yelling at the porter because he didn't have any hot water in his shower 
I said, well, just reverse them and try it that way. And they, they I, had a plum wrong, so I have, it's hard uh, to figure out. But maybe they were ahead of the time. They were trying to uh, get people uh, herded toward that cold shower deal. Maybe so. I have a story about this. All right. The first time I okay. had a bathroom remodeled, and I was used to a shower setup where you had a hot knob, a cold knob, and a knob to turn the shower on, right, from the bathtub. Right. That was the, the norm. Well, this was a standalone shower, so now you just, originally it just had two knobs, hot and cold, and you got it mixed right, and you were in the shower. Well, this all of a sudden was one knob that did all kinds of stuff, and I I didn't realize that when you turned this knob on, the water would start coming out, and I thought, like, by I had used one knob systems before. I thought like the more you turn that knob, the hotter it would get, right? That's pretty common. When you first start off, it's really cold. Right, turn it a little right. farther, it gets warmer and warmer. So I'm turning this knob and no matter what I do, all I get is cold water. So I call my plumber and I'm like, I just tried that shower for the first time. It's just all cold water. So he comes out, spends a couple hours on it, says, I don't know what's wrong. I said, what do you mean? He said, I, I can't get hot water out of this thing. He says, I've got it plumbed right. I've checked everything. Well, there was a little adjustment knob in there that we weren't even seeing. It was really two knobs in one. The inner side of this oh big knob, you turned that to change the temperature. And both and of us missed it. How did you feel when you figured that out? Uh, well, how, how bad do you think the plumber felt? He said, I've yeah. never seen a knob <laughs> like that. <laughs> He's the one that installed it. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Oh, it is funny. So, all right. Now it's about enough for one day. You wrap it up and have a good day, Kevin. All right. Thanks for the call. And I, I lied. We're going to take one more phone call um, because it's Sarah, I think. Um, we're checking right now. It is. I'm going to grab that call real quick. Sarah, good morning. Hello. I just wanted to share... I can't do the cold showers very easily either. But you know what I can do really easily? What's that? I have to walk my dogs. Oh, there you go. I can, in the wintertime anyway, it works. I can go outside in shorts and a T-shirt and make myself stay outside until they've gone potty because they won't go back in until they're done. Right. Oh, okay. And and, and, and uh, believe me, you... Depending on the temperature, you start shivering pretty quick. And that's our indicator. If you're shivering, you're getting the benefit. So, so that's, that, a, that's my tip for the day. That's a good one. You know what I find, and it, and it almost seems counterintuitive, I can do a true huh. cold plunge better than I can do a cold shower. I would love to find a place to do that, but for now, my my easy thing is, Walking the dogs outside in shorts and a t-shirt in the winter. That's a good one. And, and again, this, same this same weekend benefit. In Michigan, we're going to be in the single digits. <laughs> yeah, that'll get you shivering quick. Yeah. You know, um, this morning I I got up kind of late. I, my sleep schedule's all screwed up again. I keep going to bed really late and getting up really late and. <laughs> So I didn't have a lot of time this morning, but I, I checked, you know, the tribe site to see if there are any questions I need to answer this morning. And then I checked social media. Um, Jamie, um, one of our regular tribe members who's pretty active on X, um, his post this morning was, you know, Kevin talks all the time about how healthy these cold plunges and cold showers are. 
And a lot of times as truck drivers, we may not have access to a, a really cold shower like that or a cold plunge. He said, would it uh-huh. be the same if I just stripped down to my skivvies and went and jumped in a snowbank? And the answer is yes. Yes. But what I wanted to do, instead of just answering the question, I wanted to just post the video of me doing that. Because I did that once. I I, I was doing mm-hmm. a Wim Hof Live weekend, and when they went to do the cold plunge, instead of filling up my bathtub, I just said, there's a six-foot snow drift in my back driveway. I'm just going to go lay in it. So we have a video of that. But <laughs> like everything else, I know it exists. I just can't find it. Ah. I know. So, Jamie, if you're listening, the answer is yes. Go lay in a snowbank. Works great. I hear in the forecast you're gonna you're gonna have a pretty good new snowbank pretty soon, right? Well, here's the funny thing. Um, remember when we were buying the homestead, and and I, I think I mentioned a couple times that people kept saying, "Oh, you bought up there. What about all the snow?" And I kept thinking to myself, "It's yeah. it's." less than 30 minutes away from where I live. And by the way, the crow flies, it's probably only about 15 miles from where I live, maybe 20. How much different could it be? I mean, how many places can you drive just 20 miles and and all of a sudden the snow is that much different? Well, I experienced it yesterday. We were get we've been getting a ton of rain here in Cascade Locks and we're right around 33, 34 degrees. So the other night, it actually started to snow like crazy. The temperature dropped a couple degrees. It looked like we were going to get buried here. But an hour later, it went back to rain again. We didn't get any accumulation. We still have no snow on the ground here at all. Yesterday, I kept looking at the, the weather maps going, looks like Homestead's about three degrees colder than we are. I better run up there and check. So I'm heading through Carson, which is across the river, and that's the little town we go through. No snow on the ground in Carson. It's raining. I get to within uh-huh. three miles of the homestead, and I, I couldn't see the road anymore. It went from wet pavement wow. to totally covered. And when I got out to the homestead yesterday, we had about eight inches on the ground, and it was still coming down heavy. Wow. So yeah. you're going to get quite... Yeah, I actually, uh, I got the tractor out and plowed the driveway. That was fun. Uh (sighs) Uh-oh. All right. I am now absolutely convinced. um, I lost my connection to the phone system again just now. Sarah's not hearing, or maybe Sarah's hearing me. I can't hear her. I doubt that she can hear me. Uh, You are hearing me on the uh, live stream, but our show just ended. We lost our connection. The show didn't end. We lost our connection to the show. It happens every day right around 1040 my time. There is a clear pattern here. It's happened every single day this week, right at this time, four days in a row. That is really bizarre. Huh? All right. So I, we were going to wrap up anyway. Um, all right. Uh, I, I'm going to, be working on this later today again. Um, we are still doing a lot of testing on our, our uh, new system. So we'll, we'll see. We'll get this figured out. That is such an odd thing that keeps happening. Now, I, I, I've clearly identified it happens at the same time every day, two hours and 40 minutes into the show. Hmm. All right. We will see you back here tomorrow for trucking technology and efficiency. Be safe. 
be profitable, be fit and healthy, always do the hard work and master the journey.